is no better place. It's time to talk. The only way to get anything done in Cork is to get onto the internet. Fair play. That's a Cork threat at this stage, I think. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. I just love Cork people. Conversation that matters. It certainly does. Get involved in the conversation. The Neil Prenderville Show with Mercedes Benz uh, Cork. Um, well, it was a pretty alarming day in the city on Leaside yesterday. Arson attacks, not in one shop nor two, but five units of Cork City Fire Brigade were called to Lifestyle Sports, Super Dry, Next Boots and TK Maxx. And the Cork City Fire Brigade's third officer, Jared Ryan, is quoted in the Echo today saying there seems to have been a route uh, that they were following. They, I don't know whether it's one person or more than one, but it certainly seemed to happen very, very quickly. I believe it was in and around after five yesterday evening. We'll have some more on this in a few minutes' time, but it's a headliner front page. We're making uh, the Echo today, uh, Lifestyle Sports, Super Dry, Next Boots and TK Maxx. Somebody literally went in and uh, set off fires there. Somebody was telling me this morning it could have been like something with fire logs or some kind of an accelerant like that. Uh, all the shops had to stop trading. Many of the staff had to come out. And in fairness, some of the staff actually managed to put the fires out. But why? Why would somebody want to do something like that in such, or a group of people, I don't know, in such a concerted effort? So more on that in a few minutes' time. There's about 60 tractors assembled at Little Island Cork Airport this morning and the drive by the farmers' protest will bring them all the way to the county hall. They'll be demonstrating there this morning. Uh, so there could be a little bit of traffic disruption. I believe it would have started around about 8 o'clock uh, this morning. Um, but, uh, you know, that's going to go uh, across the morning. So just bear that in mind with regards to the latest update there. Um, I think 9.15, the actual meeting at uh, Cork County Hall, or the, the demo will start. So that's in the next five or ten minutes. I imagine they're, they're pretty much all there now and possibly in situ at this stage. Anyway, um, talking about things on our roads, we, we go from bad to worse with regards to fatalities. 35 now um, in 2024 and we're only into the back end of February. It's awfully sad. The latest one, a Cork crash. Um, uh, I believe a single vehicle accident. Half past two in the morning, uh, not too far from Passage West, a man in his 20s became the 35th person to die on our roads. Uh, it's so tragic. Awful here of last, loss of life of somebody so young. Ricky Barry age of 23, fatal injuries in the crash. There were other occupants uh, in the car and they received non-life-threatening injuries. And our thoughts are with his his family and friends. Obviously, the story has picked up with uh, the star this morning. Talk about this early morning crash. Uh, and they're looking actually for any road users, according to the star, who might have dash cam video footage and might have been travelling between Rochestown and Monkstown between 2 in the morning and 2.45 in the morning of the weekend to get in touch with the uh, Toker Garda station. It's awfully, awfully sad, isn't it? It really and truly is. Uh, I know that, that, you know, the awful sad deaths of people on our roads is something that families and parents would never recover from, don't you think? Then there's the story of a fellow who rammed a Garda car, sorry, a Garda van with a stolen car in Cork City and drove off then uh, in the White Church area and crashed and said, then he decided to, to set fire to it and he fled the scene. He was caught by the Gardaí, though, a fellow by the name of Jamie Cooper, um, fellow from um, Temple Lake or Avenue. Uh, he actually got uh, jail at Cork Circuit Criminal Court, four years jail. Uh, he had been involved in a crime spree of burglaries and car thefts 
Uh, and this is uh, the result. This is how the whole thing culminated in the end. Like the papers this morning are saying that uh, 19, he was 19 at the time, and they charged him with 22 separate counts relating to burglary of houses, stealing cars, criminal damage, arson, stuff like that. So there's a lot of court reports uh, making the papers today. It's an interesting one then um, that uh, I read in one of the papers this morning of a chap. Um, I don't have it here in front of me right now, so I'll come back to him in a few minutes now. I think he was one of these individuals. Oh, yeah. It's a fellow who made a claim of... Uh, of um, uh, um, a negligence, negligence claim for injuries where he said he fell in a pub toilet but he actually didn't fall in the pub toilet by all accounts. The fall had taken place outside the pub. It's a trolley man. So he made a false claim about tripping inside a pub toilet but I don't know if this is the first time that I've actually seen a judge send somebody to jail for this but this is what Judge Sinead Behan has done at Trolley Circuit Criminal Court sentenced Neil Conlon uh, of Trolley to 18 months and she says the judge says that a message has to go out that fraudulent claims will not be tolerated. So that's um, that's taken it quite seriously, isn't it? Papers also this morning talked today, and, and you know, if you were reading newspapers 20 or 30 years ago, you wouldn't see the amount of death or killing or accidents on our roads or people with knives or guns. You just, you just wouldn't. Whereas every single day, it's perfectly normal now to see all sorts of horrific crimes reported in the newspapers. It, and, and there can be so many different types of them. Um, back to the papers this morning. And, you know, I, I, there was a man in his 80s. Guardy have launched a probe into the death of a man over in Castle Maine in County Kerry. Suffered gunshot wounds. Uh, Paddy O'Mahony, um, retired man, um, local, active in the community. It's understood the guardy are also speaking to a man in connection with the death and the two were known to each other. Literally shot dead, man in his 80s. And then there is uh, an awfully sad story of uh, animal abuse and cruelty. And this is a pensioner, a fellow by the name of Michael Bradley. He's 78 now. He was convicted and fined a grand disqualified for keeping animals apart from, you know, 20 or less sheep, a sheepdog and a donkey. He can't keep anything else for the rest of his life. He admitted to 10 offences of animal cruelty. So this was before McCroom District Court. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that he lived in, in a townland, not maybe not too far from McCroom, I don't know. But he had several dogs, including puppies. He left one of them lifeless, chained to a wall. Um, apparently he was lucky to avoid prison. Uh, and the judge said, given his age, he was not a good candidate for prison. So, I don't know, at 78, if he was maybe 58 or something, would he have gone to jail for a spell? I don't know. But the officials, when they went in, the ISPCA found a lifeless male collie dog who had no access to food or water. His skin was inflamed and scaly and he was attached uh, to a stone wall by a heavy chain uh, surrounded by the dog's own feces. Uh, there were several other animals uh, which were they had concern for, including a thin and extremely nervous female collie found cowering in a pile of rubbish. She was con- confined by a tangled chain, unable to move or find shelter. I know some people who love their pets and animals will find this disturbing. Another female collie, along with her five young nursing pups, in an open shed, and she was tethered to the wall with a short chain, and she couldn't move. And the bedding then was soiled, wet and soiled straw, and all of the puppies were wet and exposed to the rain. Uh, and that's that's just the start of it. There was apparently seven ducks were found confined in a cattle trailer with no access to daylight, to food or water, and were living in their own filth. Awful, awful cruelty. Papers also say. Um, that uh, Ireland, of course, is a smuggler's paradise. We were talking with Michael O'Sullivan, the retired um, 
uh, Deputy Garda Commissioner on this programme last week and it's much of it down to the fact that we have a huge we have a huge coastline all around the island of Ireland and it's pretty much not being um, policed in any way shape or form uh, or patrolled I should say it's probably the right term or waters and that now is being exploited by smugglers that's why it's smugglers paradise is a headline making the sun this morning 157 million euro worth of cocaine the MV Matthew a couple of months later of course 33 million in crystal meth and they're the ones that are caught the rest of them we don't know anything about they probably get through and then you have Kevin Backhurst and you have Catherine Martin and all of those in RT this one just rattles on um, the spotlight now is turning back to Kevin Backhurst and really um, the sniper sites now are set on Catherine Martin um, as to you know what she knew when she knew was she listening were any of her staff listening? If all of these claims now being made that she was told and she knew and she had more information that she's letting on. And of course, you've got politicians now calling for her to resign. So, uh, I don't know. Uh, you've you got to wonder as to where in the name of God this is ever going to end. But Backhurst and the Minister, under new RTE pressure, will it ultimately lead to uh, Catherine Martin having to fall on her own sword? I have no idea. But apparently RTE paid out over €4 million Euro in termination benefits to senior executives over the course of a decade, apparently over €4 million. So we want to know, don't we, about every single penny of that. We really and truly do. Meanwhile, when they're throwing out €4 million in termination to senior executives, to a large extent, many of the staff who actually work within RTE are badly paid, or as they put it in one of the red tops today, the star, they're living on scraps. And then, I don't mean to be overly depressing to start the week, it's bad enough telling you about the amount of money on Friday that the HSE spends on agency staff. Would you like to know how much the state has spent on medical negligence since the year 2010? It's three billion and seventy-eight million. 490,000. It's absolutely insane. Um, If you go back to 2010, the annual cost of medical negligence in Ireland was 74 million. By 2022, it had gone from 74 million in that year to 360 million in 2022 alone. So that is a staggering increase. And when you look then at, uh, say, 12 years of it, it's over €3 billion Euro on medical negligence claims. That's more than the entire children's hospital would cost. Um, not that it should cost over €3 billion, a new children's hospital, but that's what's been paid out uh, in med- medical negligence. I might, come, I, might come to this, I might come back to this story later on uh, where Michael O'Leary is warning people that fares are going to be dearer across the spring and the summer. Um, one of the reasons they're given is because they don't have enough planes They've got loads and loads of passengers, but not enough planes, apparently. And the papers also talk about, when you look at um, issues involving... I see the monk is making all of the papers today. I won't dwell too much on that, but he's, um, he's, he's, he's sailing free and single. Well, I don't know whether he's single or not, but he's sailing free. Uh, there ain't nobody looking for the monk now anymore. And he's over in Spain and he's built himself a massive big property empire. Uh, and he's got himself a, a lot of pubs and a lot of different businesses there. And he's a bit of celebrity a bit of a celebrity living his life on the sun and uh, sorry on the uh, island of Lanzarote and enjoying the sun he's invested in bars and tourist flats and apartments and stuff like that so he's on a bit of a spree over there and he's a bit of a local legend apparently in Lanzarote these days the Red Tops love those kind of stories and it dominates the front of many of them 
There's a breakdown in the independent today on the work permits um, that are given out to people who want to come and work and live here. So work permits are on the rise because there's demand for migrant workers to fill the skills gap and to a large extent do jobs that we don't have enough people to do here because there's not enough of them or they're going overseas. The, the number one work permit, incidentally, is for nurses. Second to that then is healthcare assistance. But interestingly, the third highest amount of work permits that have been, I mean, that's, that have been given out by the state are for chefs for chefs. And last year alone work permits were given out for nearly 2,400 chefs. After that then, it's like computer programmers and software developers and doctors and people in IT and management consultants and uh, you know meat operatives and things like that. Uh, don't see a whole lot of the trades high up on the list. In fact I see very few little of the trades actually. One of them pops in alright welding trade. Uh, but uh, you don't see anything with regards to plumbers or carpenters or glaziers or brickies or anybody in construction which is kind of a bit weird you think there would be but anyway that's the breakdown but number one being nurses and number two healthcare assistants number three chefs and if you like uh, the music of yesteryear like say for instance if your favorite singer or band are dead don't wait too long you won't have to wait too long I should say because sooner or later there's going to be an avatar and an AI version of your favourite star or band on stage kind of silhouettes of them it works very well with ABBA they are now suggesting that they would do it with Freddie Mercury although I did read in the papers this morning that Brian May says yeah but can you not wait till we're all dead and then you can do us all on stage when we're all dead, but we're still alive, so I'm not interested in this until I've popped my clogs, and then you can do an Avatar version of us and drive on. And for those of you looking for love, um, and um, it'd be interesting to know what, what women and what men are attracted to. I only ask that question because the star this morning says, when it comes to women, it's voices are the depth of a man's voice. They find awfully attractive, apparently. Um, deep voices exemplified by Barry White apparently are deemed to be much sexier to women um, when they're looking for a long-term partner. Um, There was a study done in America apparently as to what women are attracted to and it's deep voices. So they say younger men apparently have are, are more sound more formidable. I don't even know what formidable means. Like it says, young men sound more formidable, and older ones are viewed as being more prestigious. <laughs> like, what is it? Their voice is more prestigious, or the fact that they're old is more prestigious? Anyway, whatever you have in yourself. And I did see a very interesting survey uh, that was done. Also, it's called Man Rules, and I'll break down these Man Rules a little later on. I don't have time right now because there's about twenty-five of them. Um, but we always hear about the rules for, from the female side. So somebody has now come up with a list of rules for the male side. So I'll go through those. I mean, a lot of them have to do in, in, across the, you know, maybe 20 or 25 of them, but they all pretty much are related to the one same thing. We, we are not mind readers. <laughs> we don't take hints very well. You know, any kind of a hint, subtle hints, strong hints, obvious hints. They don't work on men. We just we just want you to say what you want and then we'll be able to do it or we won't be able to do it. But hints don't work. We're not mind readers. There's lots more like that, which are crackers, actually. Let me just give you one more, if you don't mind. Learn to work the toilet seat yourself. You're a big girl. If it's up, put it down. 
We need it up, you need it down. You don't hear us complaining about you leaving it down now, do you? Text or WhatsApp Neil now. 0868 104 106. The Neil Prenderville Show All right, on Red FM. It's all over social media last night, last afternoon, late afternoon and last night. And of course, the front page of the Echo this morning. Arson attacks at different businesses inside in the city. Lifestyle Sports, Super Dry Next, Boots and TK Maxx. They're not all, they're not all that far from each other, incidentally. And uh, the fire brigade is suggesting that there seems to have been a route that they were following. More on that in a few minutes' time. But I want to talk to Dara O'Regan. I don't want to keep him long because he's got a busy day ahead. This is just after five o'clock yesterday. Dara, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for stopping by. What What do you know and how, how you were involved in putting a couple of the fires out? So tell us everything you know about what happened yesterday. Well, look, all I can tell you is I, I came into TK Maxx um, yesterday afternoon, shortly after five o'clock. Uh, with my young fella and um, we were just kind of walking through the store down towards the menswear section uh, I was you know just looking left and right and I saw what I thought might have been steam uh, I was thinking where's that steam coming from and then it started getting dense more heavy um, and I went straight over to it uh, and as I approached I saw the flames coming out of the rack um, I had a quick look around, couldn't see any staff member or fire extinguishers. So I sent my young fellow over to, uh, sent him over to the cashiers, basically said, look, go get some, get a staff member straight away, tell them that there's a fire. Um, and then I said, right, okay, I'll just, I'll put this one out because it's manageable, you know. So there was only one item, one shirt was 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 going up in flames, so I pulled that out of the rack by the hanger mm. and uh, just dropped it on the ground to put that out. But then I was thinking, this is, this is too strange. How could this, you know, how would that have self-ignited? You know, it doesn't make any sense. And I had a quick look to the left and the right um, while I was, you know, still, this is only over a matter of seconds, really. And I saw another rack going up uh, with smoke and flames coming out of it about 20 metres away. So I ran over to that one and um, there was more items in that were after catching it. Like the first one was only one item. I think there was like four or five on this but they were maybe man-made fibres or something so they caught a lot quicker. And I pulled all of the, those items out and got them on the floor and, and stamped out the flames. At this stage people were the, the other punters were kind of looking, looking going what the hell is your man doing you know and uh, then the staff members arrived and I told them what had happened I said I'm just after finding a fire in this in this rack I'm just after put, put that one out just put this one out I'd advise you to do a sweep of all the racks somebody's lighting fire to, to the rails so they I think there's about six of them there's some in-store detectives maybe three or four of those and a couple of cashiers and the manager they called the guards um, and did a sweep of the racks. They found another rack that was going up in flames as well, so they, they put that one out. This is a third rack, uh, then, you're talking of? A third, yeah. Okay, third no, rack. I'm listening. So go Mac, on. Yeah, go on. Yeah, TK Maxx staff put out the third one. Um, How? Was there a fire extinguisher to use? Uh, I didn't see that. Okay. I didn't see it. I just... I didn't see if they used a fire extinguisher, but I don't. Uh, I walked past it. There wasn't any sign of uh, powder or or an extinguisher when I went past, but that could have been cleared okay. up. Okay. I mean, people continued shopping in the store. It, but there was a bit of a panic, I suppose, for the staff members. Um, but the sprinkler system didn't go off, or the fire alarm 
uh, it didn't go off um, obviously nobody had hit the brake glass unit the uh, was there so was there was there smoke in, inside in the area oh, it was smoky but not that smoky like you could smell it you could smell it throughout the store okay. um, by the time we were leaving we stayed like we we bought one or two things two things and as we were leaving the fire tender was arriving outside with the with the um, the firemen you no, know that's for fast. a few minutes that's fast that's fast well yeah they were there I'd say within probably within 15 minutes okay um, but the then we like as we were walking down the Grand Parade or walking down Car Market Street towards the Grand Parade we saw all these other flashing lights and and, and fire tenders and I was going well that's a bit many for that one but they were going to different locations so there was lifestyle sports, I think, on the Grand Parade. Uh, I think next as well. Well, can I can um, I just say I think it was lifestyle yeah. sports on Patrick Street first. Um, yeah. Super dry on Patrick Street second. Next on okay. Upper Lane. Uh, Boots yeah. on Half Moon Street. TK Maxx, Your Fire on Corn Market Street. Yeah. Um, there seemed to yeah. have been a, a route that they were, they were kind of following. That seems to have been the route. Did, did, did you say that they very quickly were looking at CCTV? Were you there when the staff started looking at I was the... there. I wasn't. Uh, yeah, uh, like a staff member came to me and said, we've, we've done a quick check on the CCTV. We've seen the guy uh, doing it. So... Yes, the, the, like that. That was confirmed. I suppose they're probably doing that in advance of the guard arriving. You totally. Know? Yeah. I absolutely. don't know whether. Yeah, but my like to be honest, I thought there's too many for it to be one person. That's what I thought. You but think? I, like that's only. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I was thinking, why those shops? You know. Yeah. You. You didn't. The other thing. Yeah. Why those? Sh- absolutely. Why those shops? So and then I was is thinking, this some kind it, of like, a protest, or, or is it somebody with mental health issues? BDS or, or yeah, yeah, boycott, divest, and sanction, possibly something like that. I have yeah. no idea. Yeah. Yeah. No idea. But uh, it was, it was bizarre, to say the least. You didn't see what um, set off the fire, did you know? The accelerant that was used. You don't know anything about that. No, I don't. Uh, I would say it looked to me that it was the tags on the clothes that were that were lit. Like I don't think there was a there was no smell of petrol or okay. or okay. anything like okay. uh, anything like that. So I don't think there was an accelerant involved. I would say it was just the tags on the on the items of clothing were were less probably using okay. a cigarette lighter or something, you know? Who knows, who knows. But, yeah, but, but you, no, you, no smell of petrol anyway, and I was, yeah. like, a, at the first two racks I was there, I would have smelt it, you know, if there had been uh, petrol or some other accelerant used. Um, yeah. But you didn't hesitate to intervene and put them out, stamp them out? <laughs> uh, no, no, but I mean, look, I have to say, like, I'm a member of the ERT team uh, where I work, and I have... What's you know, that? Got, what team uh, is that? Is that some emergency response at work? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you'll be trained yeah, then. So, you know what you're doing. Yeah, I have some, I have, I have some training and, and um, as like fire safety systems and stuff, I'd, I'd be very familiar with that as well. So. Well done, man. That training came into good I, use I yesterday. Well, look, it really, I suppose, if it... Uh, I was think I was thinking afterwards if it hadn't you know if I just kind of stepped back it could have taken longer it might have gone beyond stopping you know depend because you know these clothes were actually densely packed um, 
and the fire is on the inside, so it could could spread. Yeah, across the I mean, absolutely. Easy, you know? And this would be the case in lifestyle or perhaps uh, super dry uh, boots would be different entirely. That would be cosmetics and other types of products like that. Yeah. Um, and I know that there would be, I'll talk with the fire department about this in a second, but there would be lots of fire retardant on things like furniture and soft furnishings, but not on clothing, you but know, that they, they could go off like, like Tinder. Yeah. But listen, Dara, yeah. so thank you. Thank you so much for, for, for sharing your story and, and your intervention yesterday. You made all the difference in fairness to you. Well done. Thank you so much. Yeah. No worries. Have okay. a good one. That's Dara Regan, who was in TK Maxx yesterday. So we had a lot of different uh, units of the fire brigade. Obviously, had to go to different scenes pretty much all at the same time yesterday. Victor Shine is second officer with Cork City Fire Brigade and joins me by phone. Victor, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Just, just picking up on Dara and what he came across in, in TK Maxx. And I'm, I'm assuming at this stage, would I be right, that there would be some kind of guard, a technical bureau investigating all of these fires, yeah? Absolutely. The uh, guard forensic teams were uh, immediately investigating this incident uh, in all the shops after the event. So um, they have gathered all CCTV footage, have spoken to the appropriate people, in relation to the incident and okay. they're um, okay. trying to find out who actually caused this. So do, do you know or can you speculate or say a person, going, person or people went on a, on a rampage yesterday? Is it, is it one person? Would you be able to tell at this stage could one person have lit one, moved to the next, to the next and lit all five? I would say that could be possible, but the Gardaí are um, just checking that out now to make sure um, that there are not more than one person involved. But it, it possibly is a, a viable option that somebody could go from shop to shop causing this uh, mayhem in the city. Okay, okay. Any ideas to what the accelerant was? Um, I can't go into the details of it at the moment, but it, it could be um, some other material being used on some clothing maybe, or as your caller was suggesting there, um, a lighter perhaps and so on so there are many ways to cause a, a fire in a, in a premises or onto materials and we don't want to be kind of suggesting any particular way is best but there are, there are a number of ways it could be done oh, you're, So you're, you, you, you don't divulge that because other people might get ideas themselves or are you saying you do know but you can't say for investigation reasons? Well, we don't want anybody uh, copycat type scenario, you know, so uh, there are many ways uh, clothing or materials can be set in fire. So it's up to the Guardian now to actually come up with a conclusion and it could interfere with uh, criminal um, actions following uh, this investigation. Okay, okay. Um, I don't know that you'd have had a call out like this in a long, long time or even as bizarre as this, five different at the same time. Um, uh, Obviously, the staffing levels were there to meet this call out, right? Yeah, arson in the city is very unusual. We would occasionally get the single event, but a multiple events like this is extremely rare. And um, in fairness, I must congratulate the staff and your caller there for how they dealt with the situation, extinguishing fires, keeping the situation under control and um, using evacuation protocol and protecting uh, the members of the public in their store. So luckily there was nobody injured in this. People, as I was saying to other um, members of the media, um, people with disabilities and so on were in refuge areas which required additional assistance to get out of stores, mm-hmm. which would be normal protocol. And um, it's, I, you know, I feel very sympathetic for the stores that um, have huge amounts of uh, cost involved in this. I heard one figure mentioned it could be in excess of €100,000 worth of stock damaged. That much? Damage. 
Really? But like, because four four of the five are highly flammable material. Lifestyle, Next, um, TK Maxx and Superdry would be clothing. and, And clothing would be highly flammable, right? So that if this could have been an awful lot worse this morning, couldn't it? It had potential to be a lot worse, but it's the smoke damage to the rest of the stock. You're not going to buy uh, clothing which is smelling of smoke from off the shelf. So you're, you're saying that this product now has been damaged and um, there's a cost implication to that. And we had to use... Uh, uh, positive pressure ventilation to actually uh, vent these uh, premises as well to get rid of the smell of smoke and the product and there'll be a big clean up operation as well have to follow on Yeah and and clearly this is totally unacceptable and the Guardian will investigate and use CCTV footage to find out who or whom whether it was one or a group you don't you don't know do you have do you have any thoughts as to whether this was an arson attack by more than one person all at the same time Um I'm, I'm sure the Gardaí would know exactly the, the person or persons involved in this at this stage. And I think they're probably just uh, following their own definite line of inquiries, I would think. Well, but, here's, uh, what, here's what they said comment. to us. Gardaí are investigating a number of incidents of criminal damage by fire at retail premises in Cornmarket Street and Patrick Street Sunday. And no serious damage, no injuries reported at this time. Inquiries are ongoing. Um, in, in situations like this, Sprinklers should go off, shouldn't they? And and fire alarms, do you know if that happened at the different premises? No. Yeah, sprinklers wouldn't go off until the fire has been well involved and developed and heat actually causes one of the bulbs on the sprinkler system to activate. So it would be a substantial fire, so that would be a well-developed fire to cause that system to, to, uh, to activate. Um, a significant amount of smoke then reaching the detectors, the smoke detectors will cause the alarms to activate and so on. But again, if you have um, people in the shops and in fairness now to the security and the staff they were very vigilant and they they identified uh, these events very quickly and the fires were brought under control and um, you know everything went as well as you could expect it okay okay and uh, would there be regular checks then by i don't know that would be this my final question incidentally would there be regular checks then to premises as to whether they've got working and active fire extinguishers and fire blankets and what have you yeah, there's a document called the Fire Safety Register. So the premises on um, some premises that will be licensed will be doing a daily check. Others will be doing a weekly check and so on, ticking boxes, checking their s- systems are functioning correctly. And of course, having their certifications of all these systems uh, done on a, an appropriate time basis, whether it's in alarms on a quarterly basis or extinguishers twice yearly and so on. So there are, there are protocols for making sure all these um, systems work and it sounded like that everything in these premises uh, worked exactly as it should. Fire extinguishers on available for well, use. Well, I don't mean. I don't mean. I'm not, listen, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not criticising. But it was a, a member of the public who put the fires out. I'm, I'm just. I'm just saying. It was a member of the public who put it out. There weren't yeah. alarms, and there wasn't a sprinkler. It didn't. You know. But is this a, is this a good time? Say, for instance, for businesses to check all of these things. Oh yes, but I I would be very confident that the shops that are involved here would be following all the exact guidelines. So it would take a, a, an amount of smoke to actually cause and trigger these alarms. That's to how the systems work. It takes significant amount of smoke before a yeah. sprinkler kicks in. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Well, the sprinklers won't unless there's actually flame coming in contact. So it's the development of heat. So smoke. So the sprinkler is for flame, and the fire flame, alarm is for the smoke. detector are for smoke and then you have different types of smoke detectors as well that you don't want um, 
uh, accidental activations due to sprays and so on. So different sensors, different settings and so on. So all designed for a particular area in a building. So some can be very sensitive, others maybe not so sensitive. Okay. So they're designed by the engineers for a particular area. Okay, good time to check all of your equipment if you're in business because exactly. we live in very worrying times. Victor, thank you so much for taking the call. As always, Victor Shine, second fire officer, Cork City Fire Brigade, also explaining how sprinkler systems work and how smoke alarm systems work, etc., etc. Well done uh, to uh, all of the staff who um, reacted very quickly and got those fires out. It could have been entirely different. More on this after the break. Text or WhatsApp Neil now. 0868 104 106 The Neil Prenderville Show yes, indeed. on Red FM. Get involved in the conversation, particularly if you were in town yesterday. Text 0868 104 106. For now, we'll give the last word to uh, Sarah Roundtree, Deputy Editor of Cork Bio, who lives in the city and wasn't too far from one of the fires yesterday afternoon. Sarah, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Where, where were you? Were you in and around lifestyle sports, is it, which would put you on Patrick Street, right? Yeah, so it was actually the entrance to Lifestyle on Grand Parade that I was down at that was sealed off as well. I know there was a huge amount of emergency services responding to incidents up and down Patrick Street, Half Moon Street, around Paul Street area. Um, very busy. It was blue flashing lights everywhere yesterday evening. Um, a lot of confusion as well, you talked and you said there was a lot of confusion in town as to what was going on. When people realised what was going yeah. on, they looked to be very scared. It was, yeah, confusion around the city, very worried, you know, this was, it was still daylight when kind of everything happened. This was families, shoppers around town, like, you really don't expect uh, shops to be going up in flames, really. Um, People just doing their shopping, and next thing you know, they're, you know, smelling smoke and having people targeting, throwing things on fire into shops. It's it's really not what you would expect on a Sunday evening. Um, So fair play to everyone that just um, jumped in to try and help. So So all of a sudden then you're hearing a lot of, of, all of a sudden you're hearing a lot of fire brigade sirens, I guess. Oh yeah, big time, big time. It was very quickly. I think it happened, the whole thing happened very quickly. I, I don't know if it was you know, all all at one time or if it was a, a string of incidents being targeted in quick succession, but it was very quickly. There was police and fire brigade everywhere. I wonder, could you could you move that quickly with an accelerant or with a with a lighter from Lifestyle Patrick's to Grand Parade to Next on Opera Lane to Super Dry on Grand Parade? Pardon me, on Patrick Street um, to Boots on Half Moon Street and TK Maxx on Corn Market Street. It is a kind of a tight enough area for it to be one person. Do you think, or, or what? Are you, do you guys have any thoughts on that? It is, yeah. Like because it was the city centre and all these shops, they are close together. But in terms of fire being like the alarm being raised, it was very, very quick succession. Whether it was a, a group of people, you know, targeting specific shops, or whether it was random or one person, we don't actually know yet. There's a, a few people saying that that they saw someone, you know, acting suspiciously. But when something like this happens, you're you're not um, expecting to have to look out for a perpetrator, really. So um, it is just down to the, the guards now, who do say that they've been checking CCTV um, to be able to see, and they said that they've they've seen some people or person um, that they know in connection. So they're they're still looking. So have they it. have they actually said to you that they it's a person or a group of people? Can you just differentiate between one or more than one? Have they said? We don't know for definite. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's still it's still very new. It was only yesterday evening, so um, it's still they're still investigating. Yeah. Well, w- one thing is for sure: 
We did avoid a major conflagration yesterday. It could have been a hell of a lot worse. Oh my goodness, yeah. You know when, when you know, the fire brigade seal up, uh, seal up the entrance to a building and you, and you see them moving in, it, the first thing you worry about is, oh no, this, this whole shop is going to be gutted. And then when it's, yeah. it's multiple shops around the city, it's, it's very worrying. I don't know, um, maybe if it, if it had been more concentrated, targeted maybe, and accelerant used, oh, it could have been an absolute disaster. It could have been devastating. So I think in terms of what did happen, we're, we're lucky enough that people did step in. As Dara said, that even customers and shop workers were so quickly to, to uh, step into action yeah. and make sure that a disaster was, was avoided. Although there was, there was damage to stock um, as Victor was saying there so it is it's, it's not great but it could have been a whole lot absolutely, worse absolutely thanks for the update on that one Sarah as always Sarah Rountree with uh, Cork Bio and my daughter works in lifestyle there hoping, hoping to reopen at midday this morning she had been working yesterday but was finished work when it happened they were thanked on their WhatsApp chat last night by management for dealing with the fire so professionally and well done to all of the staff it's not with you think you're going to have to deal with in the workplace but yesterday they did uh, and thankfully everybody was was safe. Of course everyone will want to know why and I suppose only time will tell as the Guardian investigate as to why there was these five different arson attacks on five different stores in Cork City yesterday afternoon but time will tell. Uh, it's easy to speculate and everybody will have all their own stories. It's like everything and all the rumour mills that are going about with different stories on side at the moment. We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. Jumping in? Yeah, just uh, just made me think of obviously so what Sarah and Victor were saying about the potential of this. Like only a couple of days ago I was looking at a piece in Melbourne where somebody and, and uh, another arson attack on a shop spread to a nearby building. There were two people asleep in the factory nearby and both lost their lives totally innocently. To So somebody came in and, and started a, an intentional fire at a panel shop and then next door was a factory where people were on, uh, on lights. And like, it's just a potential for, you just don't like, with the smoke rising, people have, especially, you know, we were looking at boots in the Half Moon Theatre, there's apartments up above that. All the potential smoke. Oh, I mean, I, 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 listen, and, I, I, I'm, that, know, isn't, that, that point isn't lost on me at all, that there mm. were people above and there were also people in the shop and whoever did this um, they, they must have known there could have been serious loss of life. Yeah, and it's, that's the thing. Like, I, well, I don't know why we still don't know the motive. Why, but you know, if if like going in and doing it, whether it was for for some particular targeted reason or whether it was just a random act of vandalism, like these things can very easily get out of control. And I just oh, listen, could be I loads just of thought, different things. I just thought be. the Melbourne example is really interesting because if that fire spread to one of the apartments upstairs, there might have been children, there might have been anything. You just don't know. So I just, I mean, thank God nothing did happen and I'm not trying to make a mountain out of, out of a molehill, but it's oh, just the potential, potential of it. Yeah. Is I mean, we crazy. already had the city centre burned over 100 years ago. I'm not, <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to over-exaggerate that or over egg the pudding but like it could have been a hell of a lot worse mm. it could have gone up much faster and, and it, it would have been out of control five different stores as well like any if any one of those had gotten worse you know it's one thing for one shop but when you're doing five different shops if it is the one person um, that like you've the potential for any one of those five to have like even like oxygen you know any sort of like some of those places keep oxygen for different things you know they have the kind of compressed oxygen for canisters or anything anything you just just don't know what and people can get injured in all sorts of different ways they can also get injured 
and fleeing a fire. That's it. You know, yeah. you could have elderly people in a chemist or something and anything could happen. You're yeah. just going to be a heart attack, anything. Yeah. Okay, but I mean, the question people want to know is the reason why. And for that, we shall just have to wait and see. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Back after the break. Call Neil now. 0818104106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. You betcha. Pick up the phone and uh, text 0868104106. So you're talking about business. I want to stay with the city for the next four minutes just to take us up to news because uh, there are businesses, unfortunately, closing and there's big changes, of course, in retail. So it's always lovely to hear of businesses opening. And my, apologi- my apologies to Fiona Long. I should have done this last week, but I just didn't get around to it. But there's a new collaborative business uh, that opened on the 13th of February in the most beautiful Winthrop Arcade. You, you know the Winthrop Arcade. You probably shop there, but it's just a beautiful place to walk through. I think it probably would be the very first shopping mall in Ireland. It's very, very old and uh, goes way back. But they've put a a new collaborative business in there and she just dropped me an email uh, about a week ago saying um, that, you know, you cover stories of businesses closing in the city. So I thought I'd share some good news on one actually opening. It's a collaborative of 10 small businesses who have all come together to make the magic, magic happen in this new collaborative business in Winthrop Arcade. The shop is called Meraki, M-E-R-A-K-I, and it means soul or essence of yourself. And it's a lot of different artists and crafters who've all come together um, in one shop. So I think it's a fabulous, um, it's a fabulous initiative. Fiona's got a business called Inner Zen Organics. She makes plant based skincare products and what have you. There are others then that make jewellery. There's a business in there called Leap of Faith Jewellery. Then there's furniture, there's baby gifts, there's cards and there's prints of beautiful artwork and everything like that. And I just wanted to wish them the very best of luck luck going forward because we often talk about the negative with regards to businesses on on Leaside. So this is a lovely initiative that recently opened at the Winthrop Arcade. It's called Meraki. So when you're heading in there, you'll be you know, maybe checking out a shop that's got 10 different companies and 10 different individuals involved in it, all coming together in a co-op. And I wish them the best of luck. And it's a beautiful thing when you talk of, uh, you know, remember I was telling you about Woolworth. I was only chatting with it again, called in and a neighbour of mine uh, there yesterday to just see how she was, the wonderful Minnie uh, on, on the Douglas Road, great woman, well loved in Douglas Village and we were chatting away for an hour or two and we had a great old, old chat talking about old times and talking about Douglas Village and talking about the city and Woolworths came up in the conversation because she remembered it as a young girl and I was saying to her, well you know that Woolworths in the UK is coming back again, they're opening some of the the branches in the UK and that got us talking on the air recently about different shops you know we were talking about fires in Patrick Street yesterday but it was asking people to reminisce about if you could bring back an old shop what would it be there was a massive response to that all too often I move on that little bit, bit too quickly but Woolworths did feature very strongly so did Rocha Stores and Cassidy's and, and Bulger's and Sasha and Mirror Mirror in the Queen's Old Castle um, the style back in the day we thought we were all made Pizza Land uh, for the Four Seasons Pizza they had a delicious salad bar inside in Pizza Land. I remember the, when Pizza Land arrived, there was nothing like it at the time. There was just like nothing like it. We got Pizza Land and we got Burger Land and we thought we were absolutely made at the time, I remember. Uh, and then there was um, lots then talking about Rocha Store's coffee shop on Mailer Street for Fanta and a bowl of ice cream that was served in the big glass bowl. It was such a treat when we went shopping with our mams. Um, as you go into the Queen's Hall Castle, you'd be going in for a donut and Joe Max. He'd be shouting and roaring behind the counter. Uh, he's still going strong and doing gigs. Benetton also featured in there, the Pavilion Coffee.
coffee shop did for coffee with meringues and cream. It was our definite weekly trip every Saturday we went into town. Uh, many of them were talking about the great Matty Kiley on Mailer Street. He'd always threw in the extra few chips. Glad to see it open again under the same name. Cudmore's, Egan's, Buckley's, next to the GPO. Donovan's Butchers. Oh, we used to go in there for the ham and the cheese. The Green Door, Past Times, Argento Bookshop, all gone but much loved. Mary Rose Cafe, um, and many then. Football Crazy, we spoke about when we were doing it the last time out. Cutbirth's Store on Anglesey Street, run by a lady called Jenny. Um, the smell of the fresh, crusty bread was unreal. I remember an old A, B, Payphone located in the back with the meat slicing machine. And I remember the Christmas ham and turkey being delivered. My dad would carve on the bone on Christmas Eve. Cuthbert's store on Anglesey Street. Anybody remember? There was great characters like Daisy Burke living nearby. So sad that they want to erase the name of Anglesey Street when it was the home address of so many people who lived and worked there. I think that was being suggested few years ago that we would get rid of anything that had an English connection to the name Anglesey Street, Victoria Road, places like that. But I think that's gone on the back boiler again now. So, uh, many many people talking about uh, over time and time and time again, Woolworths and, and Roaches Tours. So nice to reminisce in that regard and thank you to everybody who texted their own favourite memories of the shops from yesteryear. We'll pick it up after 10 lads. Thank you very much. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM conversation that matters. Talking about great Cork businesses, the Baldy Barber texted me this morning. He says, any chance to just remind your listeners that my barbershop is still open. I'm retiring and hopefully someone in the business will keep it going. But regards to all. But for now, of course, he's still snipping away out in Blackpool. The great one, the Baldy Barber open for business. I was listening to Leo Varadkar talking the other day about how the so-called Ukrainian men here in Ireland are fleeing a brutal war. But I thought the war or the law in Ukraine is that all able body men are to stay and fight for their country. The so-called Ukrainian men here are not doing that, plain and simple. Um, actually, that texter calls them rather nasty words, which uh, I won't share because it's just too unkind. But that's picked up, actually, incidentally. What Leo Varadkar was saying by Richie, who says that if Ireland considers herself an ally of Ukraine, should she not return to Ukraine all the males who illegally fled Ukraine to avoid the draft? Ironically, one could argue that by sheltering Ukrainian draft dodgers, Ireland is in fact aiding Russia in its war efforts. Also, since these Ukrainian men will face up to five years in prison upon their return, do we really believe that they will voluntarily return home after the war? Uh, Furthermore, if, for example, you argue for a ceasefire in Gaza, but not in Ukraine, your objective cannot be to save lives. Um, Regardless of the lies you tell yourselves, yours is not a humanitarian argument, but a geopolitical argument. Um, and you do not hold the moral high ground. I don't know if that's being... I don't know whether you're directing that at me um, in any way, shape or form. Because um, I don't have any axe to grind as to whether somebody comes here and they're male or female or, you know, they're, I mean, if you have to go around asking every single man who's here of, you know, fighting age as to why they're not back in Ukraine uh, fighting, um, you know, calling them draft dodgers and stuff like that. I don't know, is that a little bit too strong? Um, but what does interest me very much is there a lot of talk there over, over the weekend about international protection orders and particularly males who are coming here and arriving into Ireland and living in tents and that something needs to be done. But all of the political narrative of the weekend regarding that is that it's not acceptable for people coming here applying for asylum or refuge as international protection orders 
and primarily male, that they shouldn't be living in tents, that they should be given better accommodation. But nobody is saying that really what needs to happen is that we just can't really facilitate any more people, for now at least, because there just is nowhere to put them. And, and I understand that living in tents or sleeping in tents and they get wet and soaking and they're frozen with the cold. But like, it's not a solution to say, ah, we need to find better accommodation. The solution really is to say, surely at this stage, there needs to be a pause that we actually cannot take anymore at this stage. But listening to all of the debates at the weekend, nobody was saying that. And, and I was wondering as to why they're not addressing, as the fellow says, the elephant in the room. And then when you talk about media, as we did, my apologies to Valerie. I didn't do this last week. But it was an interesting perspective. And it's to do with the front of the Irish Examiner. And she says, I'm so disgusted, I have to put pen to paper. I was looking at Thursday's Examiner front page, and I really can't believe what I'm seeing. It was the picture of the car wedged into a wall where two young men tragically lost their lives and I found it sick beyond belief. It's a new low for a newspaper. Can you imagine how the family felt when they saw that image? And believe me, they must have seen the image of the smashed up car uh, in the wall. And the poll. Has the paper reached an all-time low when they have to print such graphic images of what is a truly heartbreaking tragedy? Shame on them. Shame, shame, shame. Yours sincerely, Valerie O'Connell. I don't know whether you actually also sent an email to the examiner or to the editor of the examiner and what, what response you got to it. But if you if you the only problem with this is if you over sanitize um, anything, say it's the various events of our city or indeed tragically like this. Um, what kind of a country or world will we live in where we're not telling the whole story and sometimes the story can be told by a photograph I would, I would, I would suggest um, and, and if you're going to be you know, overly sanitising or, sen- or being very much sensorial in stories like this then you're giving an edited and an untrue version of how good or bad a story actually is. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I know what you're saying about how it must be very, very hurtful to the family if they did see the front page uh, of the newspaper. But if I can park that and just look at it, say, bigger picture stuff, there isn't a day goes by now that there aren't there aren't deaths being reported. And there isn't a week goes by. There's 35 people died on our roads now since the first day of January. And again this morning, I'm talking about more crashes. Last week, I was talking about them. And all too often, it's single... I mean, you can't, I don't mean to overly generalise, but generalise, but a lot of the time it's single vehicle crashes very late at night or in the early morning, like one, two, half two in the morning. So there's actually, there's actually possibly a debate that should be had that we should have scenes of car crashes without victims now, but just the actual devastation of car crashes. Maybe they should be on every pole in Ireland. Maybe there should be big, huge signs on the sides of roads of massive photographs of car crashes and the damage that it does to a car and then you can think then about the damage that it does to a human being inside the car when you see mangled car wrecks single double or three crashes i'm i'm just i'm just asking maybe we should be showing these photographs more and more and more to get people to wake up and wise up and slow down and realize we are so vulnerable in cars or on motorbikes or whatever the case may be 
that we should have these photographs everywhere for everybody to see, particularly young people. I'm just suggesting. My apologies to Connie. Text 0868104106. Talk to Connie after the break. Call Neil now. 0818104106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Uh, it's very important to shine a light on situations that could be improved, and we did that the back end of last week, and to say there was a big response to it would be an understatement. We were primarily talking about housekeeping at the CUH, but I'm quite sure that maybe portering and cleaning and security may well be an issue there as well. But certainly with regards to housekeeping and how they're being treated, um, it's actually shocking the amount of texts I got from people talking on this subject. Uh, so much so that uh, Donegal Lear has brought the issue up in the Dáil, and this all has to do with the recruitment embargo, uh, and it really is, as he said in the Dáil, beginning to bite in the context of uh, people's access to health care, staff numbers, and the treatment of staff. So that's just uh, an issue regarding what uh, happened in the Dáil. But we asked the CUH to come back to us and uh, to enlighten us as to you know why staff can't take leave and the treatment of staff, particularly in housekeeping. Cork University Hospital have advised that all staff in CUH are legally entitled to receive their annual leave, which is signed off by their line manager or deputy manager. However, due to numbers of staff working in certain areas, it's not always possible to authorise all leave requests which have been issued for the same dates. And that's the end of the statement. So they're legal to, legally entitled to it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they can get it. Um, that is only one aspect of this. Uh, I was quite alarmed, actually, with regards to what some of the staff were telling me uh, about their work and their conditions. Never mind their leave, but actually the work that they're doing uh, and the fact that they are so understaffed. And certainly there seems to be a problem with the treatment of staff uh, by um, some aspects uh, of, of management. So I'll, I'll come back to all of those texts and emails, I promise you. But I'm conscious of people who are holding. Martin is standing by. But Connie worked there as a catering assistant for some time. Connie, good morning. Good morning, Neil. And to put it in perspective, before that, you were 23 years in, in the army. So you were, you were hardy enough with 23 years of army training, right? Well, Neil, first of all, I'd like to thank you and your station for letting people finally have a voice. You know, people are not afraid anymore, Neil. They're so tired of being knocked and pushed. That basically, um, yeah, well, first of all, Neil, I was in the Navy for 23 years. Sorry, the Navy, my friend. The Navy, okay. Yes. Um, Basically, Neil, I worked in the COH for four months over the year 2021. It was a, we were catering assistants that used to bring food to the wards in right. them big blue trolleys. Yeah. And we were there on a fixed term contract. But basically, yeah, it was a very busy kitchen. A lot of people to be fed every day. But you know what, Neil? There was no humanity there. So just get it out, get it up. And I remember one morning doing the breakfast run, Neil, and I came across this very old lady looking at the ceiling with her rosary beads playing, praying, and basically begging me for a sup of tea. And basically, I just put that... What did she, what did she say? What did she say? She just looked at me and said, please, can I have a sup of tea, please? Okay. And basically, I put the beaker on the cup and lifted her head slightly with my hand underneath the pillow and gave her a little sip of tea. And she looked at me and she said, God send you. Thank you so much. And by the time I came back down to the kitchen meal, I was pulled in and ridiculed. And... Basically, I said, look, there's no humanity here whatsoever. And no, I don't, I don't I want to know. I don't want to know any names or indeed anybody's job titles or anything like that. But what do you mean by ridiculed? Basically, I was pulled in. You're not supposed to touch the patients. You're not supposed to do anything. Now, I've had 
elderly people. My mother, I looked after before she died, Neil, same, my father. And basically, I was very gentle with her, gave her one little sip of tea. And by the time I came back down, after doing my duty, I was reported to the management. And basically, I was crucified. But uh, well, 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 you? let's put it like this. Were you reprimanded not to do it again or was it worse than that? It was worse than that, Neil, because I know that uh, there's rules and regulations. But the thing about it is they kept it up and they would give you a different type of duty and you'd be watched and monitored. And several times like that, that happened. Did you ever ask what would be wrong with an act of humanity to give somebody a drink of tea or indeed somebody who's gasping a sup of water? Exactly. I mean, just, just basic stuff, you know. I mean, it's supposed to be kept and catering and, you know, a bit of show, a bit of love. If you don't have love in your heart, you have nothing. No, I know you're on, I know you're on, the, I know you're on the clock, for instance. You can't sit down by the side of the bed for half an hour and have the chat and everybody else's food being cold. I understand that. But a sup of tea from an elder, for an elderly woman who couldn't lift it herself? Oh, absolutely. She had no way she could feed herself, Neil. The tray was just left there. It was up to them people to actually feed themselves. And most of them couldn't. But how? No, this is not the first time that I've heard of food being left on the um, uh, on the on, on the side of the the little table that slots in over the ch- over the bed, and just sitting there because the patient is incapacitated and it's taken away uneaten. I mean, did you ever observe that where somebody's food was untouched because they literally absolutely Neil, there'd be two of these trolleys leaving the kitchen area down the ground floor, and there'd be twenty dinners in each trolley. Basically, we'd leave the trolley outside in the hallway. Yeah. We'd bring in the tray. We could basically bring back 15 dinners not even touched. They're thrown out straight away. The Tetra Packs of Orange meals, you get 20 minutes a packet. You could put them up for the breakfast run in the morning. There might be two of them taken. Them 18 are thrown out. Everything was thrown out. Um, nothing was kept. Um, I, I witnessed down the kitchen a Polish chef the poor guy was a nervous wreck. He was sitting down in the corner of the kitchen crying. Why? And I said to him, what's wrong with you, mate? He said, no, they don't like me here. They're putting me to do certain dishes that um, for the liquidized food for the elderly. And he said, nobody's talking to me in here. And I said, come on, man, we'll have go for a walk. We'll have a chat. And he, you know, I built up a rapport with that lad because I seen this type of stuff happening everywhere, you know, this type of bullying ostracising people but at the same time I met him only six months ago and he said I had to go to the doctor the doctor said get out of there straight away he was completely stressed and I wonder what was I wonder what was, was I wonder what was stressing him though I think it was the old guard that works in these places Neil anybody knew anybody with a new ID I got it inside next door um you know, when we had to wash the trays and all that, there was people there for 30, 40 years. Anybody knew, would you, you know, just your fair, your fair game, basically. When, when, and you'd walk yeah. away. Mm-hmm. You didn't, you'd walk you away didn't last very day. long. Why? Was that the reason why you didn't Well, stay? basically, it was, it, it, out of 12 of us, they kept two nil. And it was only a fixed-term contract. It was some relief, relief for the summer slap, I think. But what's happening today, Neil, they're not even giving the cleaners holidays. Mm. That is shocking. Yeah, I've never seen it. And the, and, 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 the, and the meals, for instance, and the drinks that aren't opened or drank, or the food that's not eaten, would it be because people aren't hungry? 
um, or they're so unwell that they can't face food or they physically can't eat it without help? A bit of all of the boat, Neil, but the, the, a lot of people would... Um, some of the trays wouldn't even come out of the trolley. You could have 20 dinners inside full and you could maybe give out five dinners. The other 15 don't even come out of the trolley. It's kept warm. Brought back down. Why doesn't they? Why don't they go from? The, why don't the other fifteen go from the trolley to the beds? Well, to see, there, there might be people. This is the problem. That some of the wards were full. Then there's people discharged. People don't come. Nobody in the bed properly. Hmm. There might be nobody there. They might have been discharged now. They might have been gone to theatre. So it was, you know, there's trolleys flying everywhere. I, I, but but I, I accept that there will be some wastage in cases like that, that somebody's gone for a hospital appointment or gone to theatre or gone to, you know, specialist services and they miss the dinner. But that, that, would, that would be acceptable, I think, if they're not there. But is there fierce food waste in the hospital? Absolutely. It was insane. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, you, you know the tetra packs of orange. There's 20 in a sleeve. We could put two of them on top of each trolley. We could bring back maybe two of them, and maybe just one or two taken out of it, and they're dumped as well. So the what's dumped? Uh, the, 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 the tetra packs of orange juice that are unopened and they are sealed, they're thrown sealed, out? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, as in they're thrown out for waste? Yeah, yeah, everything. Everything goes, now. Everything goes, you start again. It's a constant circle, and when we were down in the kitchen, but there, that's a perfectly good. Uh, that's a perfectly good product. It's not as if it's a. It's not a hot dinner that's gone cold and is open to the environment, absolutely. and you throw. But this, like, like they throw out. It's crazy. Things that, that, that was two thousand and eleven. That was thirteen. That could be sent ago. to schools. Remember. They could be given to yeah. charities. They could be given to homeless services. They could be given to penny exactly. dinners. Exactly, exactly, that's it. It was just crazy. Everything you touched was just thrown out straight away. And then it starts over again. Um, when the cooks are down in the kitchen below, uh, we are in next door, Neil. We're the ones that actually tray up the food and stuff like that. It was like a scene out of Ben-Hur with Charles Heston banging the drum and you were roaring. And did you see that film? Um, Bill Hall, remember yeah, that? I remember it, yeah. yeah. Charles has some bait the drum, and that's yeah. us on the left and the right. You do the spuds, I do the meat, you do the gravy, you do the veg, you do this, you do that. And basically, it goes very fast, and they're trade up, but if you make a mistake, the belt it's called, it stops. You could put gravy now on somebody that's doesn't need gravy, you know, but you have these little receipts. Yeah. And I'm very glad of all that, but I'm I'm honing in, I don't mean to sound like a scratch record, about the waste, the sheer waste. Um, There's got to be, I mean, and also I'd be very disturbed if people had an elderly relative inside in a hospital who were hungry but couldn't eat themselves if you were told that you couldn't give an elderly woman a sup of tea. Um, how, how, How did they expect people to get a drink or a bit of food into them if they're too weak to feed themselves. Exactly, Neil. This is the problem. And after years of doing that, conditioned into doing that, you just get in, get out as quick as you can at somebody else's department. But if you deviate from the plan any way at all, that you could see something. Okay. I mean, to be like, if you've seen a fire, and it's not my job because I'm not a fireman, you know. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. There's about and 820 beds in the CUH, but if you take into account overcrowding in the emergency department and outpatients and everything, it's probably closer to maybe a 1,000. 
Um, and and oh, uh, go again, Neil. You're talking about staff. I'm not talking about the staff. staff. No, I was I was gonna I was gonna add on. I like years and years ago when I was a young fella, I actually worked out in the stores department, what would have been the regional hospital at the time, um, and there was a big, big. You wouldn't call it a staff canteen. It was way too big for that. It was a big, huge auditorium where staff were fed with subsidised food, but you literally would have. I don't know at the time, but now you could have a couple of thousand people staff being fed, couldn't you? Absolutely. So there must be so there must be at least three times a day, at least maybe two, maybe three, maybe four thousand meals being prepared. Oh, absolutely. And you had the kosher section as well for the people from different countries, you know. But um we had to do that as well, clean that area, canteen area, um, up to the wards, clean the trolleys, get ready for the breakfast, um, Basically, you're kept going there, Neil. But would you be bringing back a lot of uh, a lot of breakfasts that would be dumped or teas that are dumped? Oh, absolutely, everything, mate. Everything. For example, Neil, you could get cakes for tea time. Lovely cream buns. They're wrapped in cling film. They're put on the trolley. They're not even brought to the wards. You might get one person to take one, Neil. Um, we all of that is dumped immediately when it gone down. And if you're t- if you're a cop taking the bite out of one of them cakes, oh, game over. Um, Basically, when we done the trays, Neil, we'd have a supervisor on either side of us. Um, we'd be under major pressure, and a lot of them would just stand back and just leave you at it. I mean, they want them to the breach like we used to do in the Navy, you know? Yeah, yeah. And help, yeah. help your fellow... fellow it's hierarchical, really. There's you. a hierarchy there. And, and I guess oh, that team, I understand man. that you have to have levels mm-hmm. of responsibility, otherwise there would be absolute chaos, but... Again, now now we're talking about breakfast, lunches, dinners, desserts, beautiful cream cakes that somebody put a lot of time and effort into bake and to decorate and everything, all dumped. All dumped. Everything, everything. This is the wastage. And this goes back to where the cleaners can't be paid. The security can't be paid. There's the farmers on the road today, the self-employed are crucified in this country. People are coming to a stage, Neil. It's like... They just have enough of everything. I'm just deviating a small bit, Neil, you know, but at the same okay. time, when the French Revolution started in 1789, it started because people had no bread. They had no bread to eat. We covered yeah, a lot of ground this morning, that. Connie, including the reaction we to are. your act of humanity, giving that elderly woman a sup of tea and then getting... Um, that was 13 years ago, Neil, it was only like yesterday, when okay. that woman looked in my eyes and she said, Jesus send you. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. Yeah. It wasn't just that morning, Neil. That woman could have been there for two weeks. You know, and there were several other cases, Neil, where you're... The finger was on you straight away. There was over-supervised. The supervisors were even nervous because the hierarchy above them, and you could sense it. You could see the temperature in the room changing. One last question so for you. When, when you got reported for that incident, I know we're back to where we started, and it's a good way to be. Um, um, and were you told, don't ever do that again? Oh, absolutely. Okay. And I'd been monitored. And I was changed <clears> a <throat> routine with somebody else that would actually keep the keep the eye on me you know That's somebody you were told if somebody asks you for a drink of water or to help them with a sup oh. of tea you are to refuse that's your job okay that's All right. your job not okay that's Th- it, thank you. thanks Connie thank you text 0868104106 Martin good morning good morning I learned a lot there in the last 10 minutes did you absolutely yeah there's a lot of so many things go involved involved in having a good stay in hospital I actually kind of remind my dad was there uh, six years ago on his cancer journey bless him he's passed away since but uh, Sorry to hear all that. he wanted was a cup all he wanted was a cup that's what he lived for the cup of tea at five o'clock in the evening 
and trying to get a hot cup of tea was a challenge, you know, simple things, but it makes a difference to people's experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. With things we take for granted. Uh, uh, but I do okay. accept that in a, to an extent, in a hospital setting, um, there are so many people with so many, not necessarily demands, I mean that in the right way, but maybe health demands, yeah. um, that, you Absolutely. know, it, you have to have levels of efficiency, but it should stop short of giving somebody a drink of water or there should be someone somewhere helping somebody who cannot physically eat their dinner um, and never mind the in- the incredible waste that we're hearing of inside in that system well, I accept that there will be a limited amount yeah. of waste for sure there will um, but there's got to be a better way I mean is there anybody in a hospital whose, pr- whose protocol and responsibility involves to some extent some form of recycling or reusing of something or the distribution of perfectly good food you would think that there there would be a demand for that, but I don't know. Is it is is it yeah. not the hospital's fault that we're so overly bureaucratized now in Ireland that health and safety does not allow anything that's been touched by human hands, even a tetra pack, to be ever reused again? Do you know what I mean? Even though it's perfect, like I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's where we're at now with infection but, control. Uh, well, it's funny because we were going to talk, obviously we were talking about the, the cleaner, so I made a comment yesterday and that's why I was contacted. But um, I did a bit of research last night about the cleaners. I have great sympathy for the cleaners. Uh, as I said, when my dad was there six years ago. The room, the, the floors are fine, but when I look behind the chairs and under the chairs, they were dirty and they were sweet papers. And you could say, God, they don't clean it very well. But the truth is they don't have time. They're under so much pressure to clean and if anybody's involved in medical cleaning I mean that's a real specialised skill it's not a case of coming with a mop or a vacuum cleaner give it a dust and last night I did some research and I learned a lot about um, hospital acquired infections Good man what did you find out when you did your bit of research? Well I did two things first of all the HSC have a the cleaning manual for acute hospitals 2005 now if you look at page 4 there's a whole list of things that you're supposed to clean floor scrubbing Spray cleaning, buffing, burnishing, mopping, damp, flat spot, floor cleaning, applying polish, uh, dusting, radiator cleaning. It goes on glass cleaning, high dusting, furniture polishing, washroom. There's a huge list of work, and that's just in one room. Uh, And like for any one human being to do all that with all different uh, protocols, is mind-boggling. Well, I, I know I, I know of infections in, in some of the infections in hospitals can be medical equipment that enter the body and they can introduce bacteria yeah. and infections and things like that. But are, are you did did you are you saying that some of the infections that staff that patients could get could be from lack of cleaning and hygiene? Absolutely. Well, I have a, a list here, and for example, increased infection rates, lack of proper cleaning can lead to higher rates of. They call it hospital-inquired infections, which includes MRSA and VRE. And then you have antibiotic resistance. Poor hygiene practices contribute to the development and spread of antibiotic-resistant bacteria. Then there's something that's all equally scary, spread of multidrug-resistant organisms. MDROs failure to properly disinfect can facilitate the spread of these within the ward. So, I mean, I worked in a chemical factory years ago down this island, and when we changed products, my God, I had to put on full protective equipment. I was like something from a space movie, and you had to clean it to the point where you had zero product with buckets of acetone. So I understand it was like to go in and deep clean something. And that was a full-time job, practically, whereas in a hospital, people have just in and out, there's constant change of, you know, patients and everything else. And I would shudder to think at the rate of infections 
that are possibly there in the hospital setting right now. But are you saying that MRSA, which is an infection, and neither of us are medical now, so bear that in mind Absolutely. that let's say somebody who's gone through surgery or is recovering from surgery or would have wounds or would have, um, you know, the immunity system might be shot, that MRSA can, they can be infected yeah. with MRSA from bad cleaning, from hygiene, well, the, uh, and that it well, can uh, make them sick or, or, or worse? Well, again, not being a medical expert, I just did some research last night, but a lot of it, they all point to a basically lack of proper cleaning. And I work, I've numbered, I work for myself, but I work part-time as a rehab assistant in the place. And sometimes I'm take, I take over the cleaning for an hour or two. And I work with medical staff, some of them are retired. And the standards that's required to clean even two or three rooms, you know, it's, it's really spot on. There's no room for error there and it has to be cleaned. Uh, for infections and everything else and I think that if that's not done properly then of course you're leading yourself wide open to all kinds of infections Yeah, yeah but and a hospital uh, required yeah. infection and this, I'm just reading this uh, is acquired in a hospital yeah. or healthcare facility um, such infections can be acquired in a hospital, nursing home a rehab facility, outpatients, clinic diagnostic, laboratory, clinical setting I guess surgery and things like that um, where contamination would be brought into the area um, I, 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 had, I had a friend years ago who died of um, not, not, can, not, his, not his cancer, his cancer treatment, but from MRSA, um, which ultimately was the, was, was the cause of death, not the, not, not the cancer. So that was from a hospital-acquired infection, acquired infection, yeah? Yeah, that's it, yeah. That's kind of tragic, isn't it? It is indeed, and then we go into cross-contamination. Again, from, like, places are supposed to be, like, colour-coded toilets, the room, they have colour-coded... So they they are, I mean, I've seen all of the colour-coding, and, yeah. and I've seen the different, uh, the different sanitary areas for different products and what have you, and the protocols that they use. Spent a lot of time in various hospitals with my father, so they're oh, all in yeah, place, though, so. you know? They are yeah. all in place. Well, I suppose listening to the article yesterday, I mean, to, to function as... I mean, I have some friends who work as cleaners professionally, and my goodness, just so meticulous but like anything else when you start getting burnt out and you're pushed and pushed and tired and tired you can't perform at your highest you know and I, I really I think for the, the hospital whatever comment is going on about the staff not taking holidays and breaks and when I talk to people about the pressure they're under you know pressure when the pressure is enough people will, will break or they lose interest or they get quote, sick and you can't take chances, especially when it comes to hygiene in a hospital of all yeah, places. Yeah, yeah. You want people to be 100% efficient. <clears throat> well, it's alarming that you would have housekeeping within a hospital the size of CUH and the staff so very much unhappy. I mean, it's so bad yeah. to work in housekeeping, one of them said. Work has definitely quadrupled. We have very little support. We're expected to cover multiple wards daily. Most wards not even being covered at all. I mean, that's bizarre. It's I mean, I don't know how it could stand. I mean, like in the implications legally, I mean, there's all sorts of impl- implications. If you don't provide a good clean environment for patients, um, what I would say, for example, I have a good friend there, and she worked in in a big hotel, and she worked in the kitchens, and she said, "Look, that's too hard. I want to walk into into housekeeping." And my God, to hear her stories now, like, and that's just in a hotel where you're clean, but they say you've got to clean like ten rooms in this amount of time. And she said they ran off their feet. And that's just in the hotel. We were just swapping out rooms. So can you imagine what the housekeeping is like in a hospital where people are still in the rooms? And it's, yeah. 
Okay. You know, you don't have any break there. Yeah. Okay, thanks for that. Much obliged to Martin and to Connie. I'll come back to uh, Brendan in a second. It's so bad working in housekeeping. Work has definitely quadrupled with no support. We're expected to cover multiple wards daily. Most wards are not even been covered at all. We're doing our best without support, without help. Bodies are broken, spirits are shattered. But yeah, we're expected to keep up with the massive turnover. Housekeeping is a forgotten department because we are all looked at as just cleaners. But it's not true. We are so highly skilled as a workforce who, as hard as it is, still turn up every day, regardless of how bad we get treated. We're the most important in preventing the spread of infection. I'm always saying, without housekeeping, doctors and nurses wouldn't be able to do their job. So it makes me so mad to see my colleagues upset, crying, broken. Uh, the funny thing is if, Hico- oh yes, I'm hearing a lot of that, uh, Hikwa come and management get advance notice. So what's the point in them having advance notice um, if Hikwa can't see it, how it really is? Uh, I genuinely love my job, but I can tell you people don't like it anymore because of fear and dread. We are overstretched. Our workload is unrealistic. The amount of wards we're expected to clean. We try to do what we can in very little time and try and maintain a high level of cleaning. I go into each room still thinking that would I like to have a family member in this room as a patient in this ward? And that's the way I try and look at it. Back to the phone lines. Keep those emails coming, Neil, at uh, redfm.ie. Brendan, good morning. Uh, okay. Good morning, Neil. Oh, there you are, pal. There you have. You have, you have the floor. On, uh, you, you want to tell me the story of, of your wife who's... Is she currently in a hospital, Brendan? How is she? No, no, she's out, she's out. She, she's going back for visits. I go back nearly out to be nearly two years ago. She came out of recovery after being operated for cancer right. one morning. We said 12 o'clock, I can give you the exact time. And, uh, you know, after an operation, you're busy, you're, you know, drowsy and things. At four o'clock, we called it the tea, just put up in front of her, and she could eat it, she could eat it, she couldn't, she couldn't, and that was that, to take the way again. Did she want to eat it, do you know? Well, she, she would, she would, and if she could, but like, when you come out from under anaesthetic, you're drowsy, it takes you a long time to come out of it, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Um, and then the final moment, she went in for a shower, she took away, and if she fell, pulled the bell, pulled the card. Sorry, did you say she fell? No, if she did pull the card, yeah, she went in for a shower yeah. the following morning after the operation. And if you have a problem, if you fall or anything, pull the card. Did anybody come to her yep. assistance? Well, she didn't fall, you see. Yeah, but she did she pull? Fall, but know? did she pull the bell? Pull the cord? No, she didn't. She didn't. She was okay, but she was afraid of her life. You see, there was no one there, right? Okay, she did slip after the operation. She went twenty-four hours after the operation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You so know? nobody, nobody would would check and see. Because if the food is untouched as to why somebody didn't eat it, I mean, um, she... No, no one would check that, you know? Nobody checked that, you know? Yeah. Nobody checked that. Yeah. No. You said it was so thrown, it was thrown down in front of her, but nobody well, actually... Well, you can't blame the staff now to just pull up in front of her on the trolley as you call away the bed, that little thing that you pull into on the wheels, and yeah. if you could eat it, you could eat it, if you can't, you can't, to be taken away. And when it's taken away, you nobody know? asks you as to why you didn't eat it? Oh, no, you're no. finished, that's it, you yeah. know? Yeah. No? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay, okay. No, you just said I'd follow up that man. Oh, yeah, no, listen, uh, there's, there's power in numbers, there certainly is. Thank you for that, Brendan. Uh, Jean, good morning. Hi, me, how are you doing? Okay, um, did you have a family member in, in CUH some time back? That's right, my son, a few years back. Yeah, he was in a brain injury. Okay, just move around a little bit. Oh, and did he make a full recovery? He, he did. He has a few. He still has some things wrong with him, but he did in general. He did, yeah. Severe brain injury. Um, I'm glad he's making a recovery. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Um, you know, it was just that there was one lady in there. She was one of the cleaners. Noreen was her name. 
And she actually made my son's life lovely. Every time she'd come in, she'd laugh and joke with him. And she always brought a smile to his face because it was a very serious situation that he was in. And then one day she came up to me and she said, um, you know, I can't do this anymore. I'm so sorry. She said, but I've been told not to do this anymore. Um, and she was apologising to me. And she was just being kind to my son, having a little laugh and a joke. She always brought a smile to his face. And then she was told, you're not allowed to do it anymore. And he never understood why. He said that, you know, he just, she'd come in and she'd barely acknowledge him. And he couldn't understand it. Again, the brain injury didn't allow him to understand it. But, he, but he, certainly, he certainly noticed a change in her attitude um, because she had been reprimanded for chatting with him, is it? For chatting with him and she brought a smile to his face every single day she'd been into him. And then all of a sudden she could just kind of barely salute him and, you know, come with his wave and then walk on. And he just, you know, he just couldn't get it. He didn't understand why. And I just thought it was very cruel, you know. I know she's a job too, and her job wasn't to be good. She only spent five Okay, you're, break, you're breaking up there, and and I don't I don't mean to add to the inhumanity of that, but just bear in mind uh, how many people that she has to deal with on a daily basis. If one was to spend time chatting with everybody, I'm wondering would the work get done? You know, oh, I understand that, but this would have been just a couple of minutes, and she didn't do it with everyone, but she just seemed to have this very lovely little bond with my son. And he just enjoyed her, you know, the couple of minutes she gave him. But I just thought it was wrong that she was severely reprimanded for it and, you know, couldn't do it anymore. And had and to apologise to me for yeah. it, yeah. which I thought that was sad, you know. Well, if, yeah. they had a, if they had enough staff, they would be able to give everybody that little bit of TLC and a smile and a 30-second chat, you know? Or to, pick up, to pick up the glass of water and give them a drink if they couldn't do it themselves, you know? Yeah, some little things like that, but, you know, it just, she was just a lovely lady, and that, that's, that's really it. I just want to kind of say, I met up with my son about 12 hours every day for nearly three months, and he, for her to apologise to me, yeah. you know, I know, it was very sad. It was sad, it was but sad, yeah. It. Humanity yeah. out the window. Thanks for that, appreciate it. Thank you, Jean, thank you, Brendan, thank you, Martin. Back after the break. Call Neil now. 018 104 106. The Neil Agencies, obviously, I don't know what the rate of pay or commission and everything that's involved in agency work, but I'm quite sure it would be an awful lot cheaper to hire them directly. And I gave you the breakdown of work permits earlier on this morning. Uh, the number one work permits that are issued in Ireland are for uh, nurses and after that, healthcare um, assistance. So we just don't have enough of them. We can't get them internally, so they have to come in from overseas. We just don't have the staff. If they were to put up a recruitment drive within the HSE, I don't think for a moment that they'd be overwhelmed with people looking for work in housekeeping or indeed healthcare assistance. It's a hard job and I imagine the money ain't great. And in this day and age, there are easier jobs for more money, aren't there? I worked in CUH during the pandemic. In one instance, management knew I had not yet received the COVID vaccine and still sent me to work on a COVID ward where every single person had COVID. Only for a doctor noticing I was not the same girl who usually worked there and actually giving out to my super 
supervisors on my behalf before giving me a note to get my vaccine the next day before I ever came back on the ward. I would have been left on the ward longer, unvaccinated. Nobody saw it as an issue because we are disposable. I've been treated like absolute dirt. I once um, had made a doctor's appointment booked for myself and was only informed that morning that they wanted me to work a 12-hour shift. Management don't communicate with each other and constantly swap staff around to cover their own asses on their days in. There was never any appreciation for the job. I was often pulled to cover anything up to four different wards on the one day when I was booked holidays or time off. I'd get a call before the holiday day to say that uh, they have to take it back and I must come into work. This was well before any of the issues being um, arising from staff at the moment. So this is going back to COVID. I can only imagine how these poor people are now being treated um, if my experience of it was anything to go by. As a healthcare assistant, you're expected to do everything which includes housekeeping, social care work, driver, chef, etc. Sometimes you're assigned to stay with a patient who might have other underlying issues or intellectual disabilities. Uh, you're doing a 7am to 7pm shift and if your team doesn't turn up for their shift, you're stuck to say, stay on. Somebody doesn't turn up and you do 7 to 7, how long more do you have to work? Are you saying you have to work a... A double shift or what? Ironic that the HSA can close down restaurants for being unclean, but they can't close down hospitals. Another one here. I work in housekeeping in the CUH. It's a disgrace at the moment. Housekeeping staff are being pulled right, left and centre to try and cover all of the wards, other wards as long as well as their own. Uh, a new ED opened up in the CUH before Christmas. There's no housekeeping staff to cover it. I agree with your caller about COVID cleans and infection cleans, doors left wide open, spreading the infection. It's a disgrace in there these days. Uh, people are entitled to holidays. Just give the right amount of notice that's in your contract and just take them. They can't stop you. Stop you. And sip too. Don't make me laugh. They won't do anything for the workers, says Paul and Toker. You, th- that doesn't work in the real world. You couldn't have staff members of any one department all putting in for holidays all at the same time. And you're expecting by law that they should all be given their holidays at the same time. It has to be staggered. Come on. That's the only sense. In relation to CUH workers, um, it's the same in the private sector. We're on the wrong band work-wise, and it's been going on since 2019. Back and forth to the Labour courts, and that's somebody working in private sector housekeeping. Uh, the government wants to run down the health service so everybody will get private health care. I need an MRI scan, and I had to wait one and a half years and spend a day in a hospital waiting for the scan. I decided to get private health care. My daughter needed a scan, and a scan was arranged within a week in the Matter Hospital. It took 30 minutes in and out. Well, I am delighted that you managed to get a scan in what would seem to me a long time to wait, one week, because I came across a case recently where they were asked to estimate um, as to how long it might take for an MRI scan at the Matter, and we're told eight weeks. Eight and that's private health insurance. So as we move along year by year, decade by decade, private and public health is very much veering on a collision course of um, sameness, as in little or no difference. Seems to be no end to the mess the government is making in this country. They also seem to be concentrating more on other countries and its people while their own are being left drift behind. The HSC, the homeless, the housing, tax, petrol, drink, RTE, it goes on and on. There seems to be no end to the pathetic job they're doing and I often wonder who is actually running this country. Uh, right, enough of me. Um, well, not enough of me. It's important to read out the text. But back to phone lines we go. Finbar, good morning. 
morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. Uh, what's on your mind, pal? What's on my mind? I'm I've currently a patient here in the CUH. Okay. I've had, I had a stroke last Saturday. Right. Neil, I've been promised physiotherapy since last Saturday. Do you know how many steps I've taken? Since Saturday. No. Since last Saturday. Ten steps. I grind my hand along the table. That's all I've had. So your the reason that your voice isn't isn't clear is because is there some paralysis? I just stroke. Yeah, I'm not paralyzed on my side. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All the okay. way down one side. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm paralyzed. What do you mean? Listen to me. I, we are here in a high dependency ward, and very little staff on at night. I, I went to bed during the night because there was no care attendant on. There's no care staff I, on, so you wet the bed because you couldn't get to the bathroom. Yeah, I was asking for pigeon and I went to bed. I I, I started myself the night before, no care attendant on. I met the nursing manager yesterday and she said that things would improve. I mean, okay, I was promised to see this morning at the job. Might be, it might, might be the staff. It might happen. It might happen yet, though. You know, it's just my right. And is physio oh. is is early physio very important after a stroke? I walked. I walked with people with disabilities for for over eleven years in the Gilbert Centre Manor. Yeah, and I I also I also walked out an inclusion project in Manor for over. 10 years yeah. with Adam Duda so you know for people people's rights with disabilities right and, and now I'm stuck in their boat okay but I'm telling you in order to get my, my leg when I got the stroke I had been moving in there and now it's, it's, it's no man up there yeah. So yeah, you know, again, it's it's difficult. No, I, I want to show your respect obviously but it's difficult to understand what you're saying because of the stroke uh, and the paralysis. You have paralysis down one side of your face, your arm, your leg, everything. My my face can go bad, Neil. Right. But okay. I can, I'm so stressed. I, I, I've been promised. I was promised to go Friday. I was I promised know. every day. Get into the gym. I was going to try it. And two women were here. And they said, we back to me in 10 minutes. Because I, there was someone with me. And... Then we came back to me in the community without exit, and we went to the gym all the way to my health now. Okay. And have have they suggested that you should be wearing adult nappies? Yes. I was asked that by a uh, staff member general. How would you feel about that? Well, I'm 49 years of age, right? Yeah. Why should I wear nappies? Because the government can't put in place. Case proper adequate staff in the high dependency unit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need need help to go to the bathroom, but you're saying that help should be provided for your dignity to be able to go to a bathroom. Yes, yes, because I'm a high dependency patient. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Listen to this, right, listen now, listen, right? Look, everybody has the right to the dignity, Right? I I I Dignity. told yeah. I, I them when I was admitted here, right? You have that, Crohn's? 
conjugate and, and surgery. So right? you need access to bathrooms. It's an important Obviously. part of your life, yeah. Because I, I suffer from my incontinence. I get a nervous stroke from stress over here. I can guarantee you that. Yeah, yeah. If you can't ask me in the main hospital, you should send me somewhere else. Yeah. It is an absolute experience in here. Yeah, yeah. It's coming out cold to us and everything. The food? Yes. Would your dinner be cold? Yes. I think back three days where it was frozen. Stone cold. Frozen. I, yeah. And there was a girl up here who said she proved it for me. I, took, I had a cup of soup and it was absolutely frozen. I should see. That's not on. That's not on. That's... I'm telling you, it's going on in Cockney University as well at the moment. Yeah. And it's 2024. Yeah, I know. The government has made the people run down. Yeah. And they left me down. I, I like I when I need care now, I there's nobody there for me. I'm, I'd rather die now the way I am. Yeah. And there's no physio here. Hi, physio, physio is important, access to the bathroom is important. I'm throwing here in a big like a piece of rubbish. And have your family calling in and out, Finbar? My family are here, I told them about it. Yeah. Is it to be carried on will it happen? What do you mean I'm anxious? I've you're you're been, anxious, and I wish you were. I wish you weren't, because you're after a stroke last only last Saturday. So I've you're always, I've always been independent. I did all. I know, but you're very I've frustrated about the situation you find yourself in, and you don't want to make I've, it any worse. You know, a stroke is stroke is serious. You know, you want to be yeah, you want to be trying to Neil, just. Neil, Mihal Martin is is a cock man, so. Right from my back, then so for public expenditure. Should they never see that? And they're hiding in shame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. the way the people of Cork and people with strokes and other people in, with all the civilians in this hospital, the nurses are absolutely standing here. So, yeah. Yeah. But okay. They need no help. Okay. I tell you, this is absolute disgrace here. Okay, listen, stay. I'd rather be out here. I said, Mister, go over here today. Don't, don't do that. Not after. I mean, not, I like guarantee no, you, I no, Don't do that mm. because you've had a stroke and you need care. Mm. Listen yeah. to me. What's inside me that I need to be here if I'm not going to get physio? Mm. I'm going to get worse. I don't know. Why would you have today? Don't get there. No physio, I, do I, I don't know how quickly the physio needs to happen, you see. Maybe it maybe today I need mean, I just you know, maybe today I'm walking on bars and they said we'll have more again tomorrow. I know, I know. I, my God, my no, you're keen you're keen to get up and about and to get physio and get moving. I, I understand that. I really do. I don't, come here, I don't know what's going on here. Right. But they tell you something and you don't follow through. I don't like that. If somebody promises you something, I know, man, I know, I know, I know, I know. I've had a stroke. I, I, my head is all over the place. I suffer from it too. Okay, well, I'm going to put you back on. I'm going to put you back on hold to the lads for now. All right, and hope yeah, to. Yeah, I'm not hanging head and shame. Well, there you have it, pal. He's the tarnished that and, and Michael McGrath. He holds the possibility this comes right. I think, it's too, I think it's too big a problem at this stage to fix. Finbar, Finbar, you're working yourself up there and I don't want to be part I really of that. Uh, I know, calm, I know, calm down. Calm down. Can you tell me I'm here? I know, I know. 
Take it easy. I'm telling you, people said, but I am Kansas or I know you are. Hold on there, and I'm going to put you back on hold um, and hope that maybe we can get somebody to come to you. Are you there in your own right now in the world? Just hold on there. You're not. Hold on. You're not alone. Just. You won't. You don't want to get out. You want to get the help that you need because um, you need to be where you are after something as serious as a stroke. You only feel that way right now, but things will improve. Things will improve. And I guarantee you that there's somebody listening to this conversation with me right now and you, and they'll make a difference for you. And we'll, we'll help that to happen, right? Just hold on there. I'm going to give you back to, uh, I'm going to give you back to um, Kevin and, and uh, Seamus and Claire and see if we can help on your behalf. Very sad. He's obviously very frustrated and very worked up after um, a serious stroke on Saturday. Life is tough, guys. Life is tough. Back after 11. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. There was an email earlier on of somebody that was very critical of posting photographs of crash sites on the front pages of newspapers. I tended to disagree. I do respect that if family members or families themselves were to see the photograph, they would be very upset by it. But I have to think about this through uh, the bigger picture. And I also see some people actually agree with what I'm saying. I'm thinking that we should be posting and sharing and have posters of crash sites Clearly now, um, you know, I'm not talking about victims or the, you know, anything like that, but the actual remains of the crashed cars, people need to see them. Uh, and there should be a huge campaign. I mean, somebody correctly pointed out to me, you right remember that CIT or MTU, some years back, the well, regional tech, had wrecks of cars that had fatal crashes in them displayed around the MTU CIT campus. It was part of a road safety campaign for young drivers. The reality of a car crash really strikes home when you see this, or even a blood-stained airbag for that matter. Also, why aren't pedestrians and cyclists not wearing high-vis vests anymore? Is it too much to ask? Have the lights on your bike as well, says Sean? All of what he said, Sean, all of what he said, I agree with it. He'd go one step further and, and I don't disagree with that. I mean, we've seen it overseas where you literally have crashed vehicles placed on the side of roads, particularly perhaps maybe somewhere near somewhere that already had a uh, a lot of crashes, dangerous areas. People driving by see the mangled wrecks of cars or vans or whatever the case may be. It would give you a shock and it would shock even the most hardened person or maybe even the youngest or more immature drivers to say, God almighty, that could be me. So I think we should see more photographs and I think we should see more wrecked RTAs on the side of the road to remind people to slow the hell down. Um, graphic images are needed. Another young man was killed over the weekend. Young men, it would appear, and this has nothing to do with the sad loss of life for the weekend, but all too often at the text was suggesting that maybe, maybe young people are out of control or that they just don't realise the speed kills. Driver behaviour is the number one killer. Actually, Ralph Regal in the Irish Independent last week uh, reported that men are now dying on Irish roads at a rate of five to one compared to women, men. Five to one more men dying on roads than women. The RSA also reported that last year the majority of road fatalities were male, 78% of them, and 22% were female. Um, And one final one, thank you. I'll come back to cause in a moment, lads, just after the break. These car crash photos need to be highlighted with the constant carnage on our road. Speed's the number one offender. We must not soft soap it. Show the photographs 
and put the wrecks on the side of the road for people to see it. You never know. It might jolt them into slowing down. The Neil Prendeville Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. All sorts of conversations that matter. So get involved in the conversation. The Neil Prendeville Show with Mercedes-Benz Cork. Can I also just say, and I will get back to the cause, I promise you that I'm talking an awful lot about uh, our health system at the moment. And also, it's never too far from waste uh, and squandering of the public purse and finances or how they come up with these insane decisions as to how they spend their money. I'm not talking about overseas aid, which is climbing closer and closer to a billion. I get that, that we need to be charitable. We need to have, um, you know, the milk of human kindness for those that are in a worse situation than us. But we often see um, uh, I mean, I, I still can't get my head, I just can't get my head around Is it 800 million? Is it 800 million, the number for Northern Ireland roads to improve the road network in, in, in the north and another 60 or 80 million to Casement Park, the gas stadium in, in Belfast, these things. I mean you driving our roads, lads? Have you seen the state of them? Oh no! I just I don't know who makes these decisions. Uh, for me, that that's that's clearly an abuse of public finances. I think, but then again, what do I know? But on a lighter note, though, because we talk often about we were talking about, the, and I'll come back to the calls, I promise. But remember, we were talking about shops that you'd love to see back, and I mentioned it earlier on this morning. And people went on a lot about fashion shops and things like that, and reminiscing about the. Uh, the shops that were there before. And I suppose really the variety that would have been available. There's less and less variety now, I suppose. Uh, and more and more people. I mean, you can see the change anyway. On a Sunday afternoon, you get out, try and get off the slip there uh, from Mahon Point. It is absolutely insane, the amount of cars. They're from about maybe 11 in the morning or trying to get off that slip to go. I guess they're all going to Mahon Point. Where else would they be going? Think about it. Might be going to the Marina Market, I suppose. I don't know. But anyway, earlier this morning, we spoke about Burger King. Sorry, I got it wrong. My apologies. It would have it would have been the arrival of I said Burger Land, right? So before that, you may be old enough to remember if you are like me, you'll remember before there was any Burgerland, there was only the Uptown Grill or the Little Chef. Another great spot up on um, Washington Street was Losey Pinos. Does anybody remember Losey Pinos? It was kind of like the Irish Italian. It was a cracking spot. And then we had a selection of some Chinese, but very, very little. Kelly's were doing their thing, I know, and we had lots of cafes and stuff. But along came uh, Burgerland. And the world the world changed then for young people because we got the Cork equivalent to the Big Mac, right? Or the quarter pounder with cheese. Or we were we felt really American with the American based basketball players coming over here and showing us how it was done and all that kind of thing. But somebody remembered somebody remembers why didn't you ever mention Mandy's? <laughs> <laughs> Not sure if you ever mentioned Mandy's, but that was another great place. I remember being taken there as a child for lunch on a Saturday after a morning of being dragged from one hardware store uh, to another. Yeah, I, I mean, I do recall Mandy's. Mandy's was where McDonald's now is on the corner of uh, Patrick Street and Don Square. Very, very popular. And didn't Mandy's do a really cheap deal on a burger? They were undercutting everybody with the price of their burger for years. So I do remember it. Um, and of course, along came Mandy's, along came Jackie Solon's Burgerland, and after that, McDonald's came to town. And before you know, we had... Uh, oh, hang on a second. Hang on a second. In the 70s, we had KFC. There was a KFC on Oliver Plunkett Street, pretty much there where the junction is with Oliver Plunkett Street and Pembroke Street. Just directly across the road from McKechnie's, the dry cleaners, there was a KFC there, right? So... It was probably as posh as it got back in the day with regards to franchises. 
all changed then after the arrival of Burgerland and Pizza Land was another one funny how food and reminiscing makes you smile doesn't it it's like I was down in Ballymaloo yesterday for a bit of lunch um, just for a treat food is fabulous but I was watching I was watching when the the dessert trolley was going around inside in the in the restaurant in, in Ballymaloo I'm not suggesting that people were sullen or weren't smiling when they were having their starter or their main course but every single time the dessert trolley went anywhere near anybody's table they broke out those sitting at the table broke out into the biggest beaming smiles <laughs> like if somebody brought you a dessert and put it down in front of you you'd say thank you very much that's a nice trifle or that's a nice apple tart or that's a nice piece of pavlova but you wouldn't be beaming from ear to ear but when the trolley appears like it's like we turn into children like in a sweet shop for the trolley how did I get onto that? I don't know. Anyway, I'm finished. Text 0868104106. Back to the phone lines. We go to serious matters. Janice, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How well, are you? I'm sorry for keeping you waiting as I did. Um, you wanted to get involved in the conversation this morning um, regarding mm-hmm. leave within. Is this again within the HSC, is it? Within the HSC, okay, yeah. Okay, go I ahead. work in the UH. Okay. Um, it's just too two subjects I just want to touch off of. One is being the annual leave and one was when we were on last year about um, about the job evaluation. This um, is job evaluation it, for housekeeping, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So Which didn't happen. Housekeeping no, never got it. Never got it. And when Sharon actually tipped off it the other day stating that... Sharon from SIP2. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, saying that she was disgusted that housekeeping didn't get it. But she failed then to say that the two had signed an agreement with management to say that there was no appeal without the members even knowing that there was um, um, why, an agreement. Why did they do that? Why would they, If they had recourse to appeal, know. why didn't they appeal? We've because because the evaluation would have meant a wage increase like other departments in yeah. CUH. Yeah, and to move up bands. Um, well, Sharon didn't tell us. We act when we investigated ourselves. We seen that SIP two had signed an agreement with management. You know, I need to. You know, I need to check that now. Yeah. Yeah, check it out. No bother, Sharon. To come on. Um, then the SIP two. It was supposed to be an independent auditor, but SIP two actually paid for the auditor, so it couldn't be independent. Mm, okay. 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 You know. Um. um yeah. So yeah. like that, like I just hope now at the moment I'm actually not a sub two member. I actually withdrew my membership after when I felt that we were let down by them. Um, but I just hope that sub two stands by its members this time and helps them get back their annual leave. Um, you know, when I first started out, I started there. You, 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 but you can't, you can't hide the fact that. The staff are overworked because there aren't enough there. Either? Yeah, I'm saying that Say there that aren't. I'm, I'm just saying the problem here with leave and holiday leave, this is one aspect of, of working, say, within housekeeping. Yeah. Uh, I imagine maybe security, portering, um, you know, they also have their issues with being overworked and understaffed. They just Absolutely. don't have enough staff. Why Why can't they we, get... St- I, know, I know that there's an embargo now and they're not allowed to hire. Is that the reason why? But there's an embargo. But every time we get a supervisor that leaves or moves departments or retires, we're replaced by two two more supervisors. I started out there in 2006. We had five supervisors where they would fall in, pick up a mop, give us a hand. We now have 10 supervisors. If we're in that much of a crisis and there's an embargo, 
surely Scott management needs to go back to, to work. But the embargo doesn't stop them from hiring agency staff. So surely be to God you're falling over each other out there with agency staff, tens of millions of euro being spent every year on agency well, staff. Well, I actually think that the radio and even the, the TV should walk in there from the front off, from the front door to the back door and see how short-staffed we are. Hmm. I'm actually out on mat leave at the moment and my department is a Monday to Friday um, job and I had to be off on a Wednesday for a parental day but I'm out on mat leave since the, the, the end of the summer and there hasn't been a full week's cover there yet. For you? Yeah. Okay, so you're, you're just one in one case. There could be multiple others case. like you. Yeah, yeah. There's multiple, multiple people. Like, my colleague was on to you the other day, Gillian, and she was telling you that she was on a ward and that she was there on her own that day. So, there's two people on a ward. One is for auxiliary where they do the bed tables, they clean the bed lockers, they do the linen, they... Um, they give help, uh, give out the meals. They collect them. They do the water jugs. Then they do the the fumigations um, when people leave, where it has to be stripped down. The per- then the second person then is on floors. They hoover. They wash. They buff. They do the fumigation. Well, let's be fair. Then, if all of that is happening, tell me that it's happening. It is. But if you're short, if 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 you're short staff, the soup they're not sending someone up to. If, like Gillian told you the other day that she was on her own that meant the half that job the floors Gillian wouldn't have been able to get the floors done but she would have often to do the fumigations then on her own so that means all her own so that means she's slowed down overworked and, and ultimately she was saying that in the end not everything gets done not everything okay. gets done and do any There's, do you have any thoughts as to why so many meals are going wasted um, like is that just accepted now that if somebody doesn't eat their food nobody asks them why well I like I think they're short on they're short on nurses they're short on care assistants um, so therefore if the tray's put down in front of someone and it goes cold then it's up to them the nurses and whatever they'd come out and they'd ask us then to make tea and toast but that's if they get around it's just so short but that meal then and many others like it hundreds and hundreds a day are just being dumped right and 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 is there and is there is there guidance that staff are not allowed to help a patient or even give them a, a sup of water or a drink of tea if they can't do it themselves no, yeah, you like basically we're classed as um, housekeeping, so our job is to drop the food and clean up. But like, I would be a friend. I would class myself as a friendly person if there was a patient in there and they had no family member that could come up to them. Or like, of course, right. you want to help them. Yeah, would you get in trouble if you did? Yeah. Well, I would often help, but like, you, you you're chasing your tail, then trying to catch up on the rest of your work. I know. I know. Oh, I know, you and, know? You, and I know. I understand that sometimes you can get into a chat with somebody and not get out of it. I understand that some people just love to chat, and you don't mean to be rude. And before you know it, you're twenty minutes trying to get away. I understand that it's yeah. difficult. All right, okay. Yeah. Let me thank you for um, that. Yeah, like, yeah. Just one. Um, do you know when I first, I when I started out there, there was a, I, an information booklet, and I remember signing the contract on it, and it was saying if you wanted two weeks. Oh, you just had to give tr- or, um, you had to give two weeks' notice for three days off. 
like we have new management in our housekeeping office. They're just trying to change up their rules now and try to put this in place that there's no leave there. Um, it, would be uh, it wasn't even exactly no leave. It's just that they said they can't guarantee it for everybody. It, it's kind of be, it's, a, it's, all, it's almost implied. Like, would be even, yeah, even if Sharon could find out it, they try. Like my mom worked in the COH years ago, and they tried to bring in where you get like a week in spring, a week in winter, and two in summer, and they're trying to bring that back in. Um, you know, like it would be okay. like. If Michal Martin was out there, you'd be guaranteed his room would be cleaned. Oh, they'd clean the entire hospital. You'd smell the, you'd smell the death hall oh. and the bleach. You'd smell it all yeah, by the time I, they were arriving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before right. they were arriving. Like, okay. you know, I'll I just tell you one more thing. Yeah, I just I have was, lots standing by. Go ahead, final point. Yeah, yeah I was on, um, I was heavily pregnant last year and I was cleaning my own ward when a supervisor came in and asked me, oh, where short stuff down in another ward as well would you mind doing the rubbish and the the toilets and I said no and she said what do you mean and I said the more we keep covering for ye we won't be able to get staff and I said HIPAA should come in and have a look at the state of the place and what I was told was when you're out on your uh, parental day on a Wednesday I'm not sure now if we'll be able to cover you basically because I wouldn't go down and do the other so area. So it's kind of a veiled tw- threat if you like. Yeah. 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 But like it's absolutely Neil, if, if someone from the media could walk in from the front of the hospital to the back because it's dangerous out there. OK, thanks for that. Much obliged. Let me continue. Thank you to Janice. Uh, Trish has been standing by for far too long, so my apologies, Trish. Good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I, it, I'm well, thank you. Um, it says here that your dad was in the CUH and you discharged him due to neglect. Well, what we felt was neglect, yeah. Like his basic, I, we just felt his basic um, care wasn't being looked after. Um, now that ran through to doctor care as well, which I'm not going to get into. But um, basically, I suppose the reason I'm ringing is for, first of all, I saw Fimber's post yesterday on Facebook and they're heartbreaking and I want to wish him all the best because I know how vulnerable my father was in that position. He had um, a back injury. He, there was no pathology there. It was just back injury and um, he was incapacitated, couldn't sit up. And we, I was able to go in every day, like the lunch in the CUH is between half 12 and one o'clock and not many families are in a position for a family member to go in and feed them. So the trolley, it, the 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 lovely care staff would come along they'll put the food on the trolley and my father wasn't able if the trolley was too far at the end of the bed I saw it with different patients he was in a shared ward I would often get up and move the trolley to other patients who had leg injuries or whatever so they'd put on the trolley and um, I used to feed my dad because he was lying down he couldn't sit up which was very upsetting for all of us Um, but if the trolley was further away um, he couldn't feed himself anyway because he couldn't sit up you know for the knife and fork and all the rest of it but uh, so therefore breakfast and lunch if that we weren't there at those times lunch uh, evening meal usually and the tea comes around five o'clock so there was people there sometimes family members but not always because of work and other commitments obviously but um, I suppose the reason I'm ringing is because we were in a position where uh, we we have a large family and we were able to go in and look out for dad every day but there's lots of elderly patients that um, have nobody and, and I suppose Would he okay and again just to put this in perspective this was just last year was it the back end of last year? It was just December you, yeah, it wasn't during December COVID or whatever the case may be. No, no, it was, it was just, just this year. And did he eat the yeah. food when you helped and assisted him to eat it? 
Yes, yeah, he ate it. The food itself was lovely, he said, and everything. And, you know, the, the staff are lovely and the food was nice and everything. That wasn't the issue. The food, the issue really was access to food. Okay, so, and, 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 that's, um, and, I'm, and I'm staying on that point with regards to the access to food. So yeah. in the ward, you would push the, t- the trolley table up towards the other patients. Would they be I've able to, that, yeah. would they be able to feed themselves? They were because a lot of them like would have been in with it, uh, would have been maybe knee surgery or hip surgery so or a fall. So why, when the, when the meals would come in and housekeeping put it down, why wouldn't the patient ask, would you, would you mind pushing it up so that I can get to it? Because they might be talking to a doctor, they might be in the loo, they might be gone out for a stroll because with they might, you know, be told to walk up and down the corridor for their injury. So when they come back, the, the food would be there on their trolley. Um, you know, there's, there was different scenarios I saw. But um, for dad specifically, I just felt, now, I just think that their basic, their basic needs, you know, food should be provided. There's nobody there. Whose responsibility is it to, to, to see that the patients are fed? There is nobody. And that's the problem. There's no chain of command that there's no assessment of needs when you go in so there's no checking what's this person's mobility can they feed themselves a simple chart at the end of the bed could be put but and then they could they would they would have to hire people to to meet these needs is there anything on those those charts to tick that a patient did have breakfast or a patient did have dinner? No, absolutely not. No, there's nothing. There's nothing to do with food. There's nothing to do with mobility. There's nothing to do with a simple thing. If dad's uh, tea came in a, a, a mug, uh, you know, a cup, a sippy cup, with a, we had a straw for him, he could access it because he was lying down. But if the cup came in the morning, if he had time enough to, to get it out to say, can I have a cup? Because he was he had suffered a stroke and he was a little bit slower when he was speeching, speaking and they fly around, as you can imagine. So if, he came, if they came with a cup, for instance, that morning, he wouldn't have any cup of tea that morning. So and it would like be a cup and saucer a and a tea. pot of tea. Like that yeah, would be yeah. impossible Yeah, he couldn't access that because he couldn't sit up. But if you're so not there and you were there for, for his dinner, which is every in the day. middle of the day, but does yeah, that mean that he missed breakfast and his tea every day? He did, yeah. Uh, now, sometimes he might say to a nurse, if she was passing, could, would you mind buttering a piece of bread? And they would. But the nurses really come in to dispense the medicines, take the blood pressures, they're gone. The care staff would come in with the food. I mean, I was there every day I saw it. I couldn't believe it. Um, there is just, there is a breakdown. There is, it's a complete, it, it seems to me that the system is completely broken up there. And maybe it's all hospitals, but this is the hospital I saw. And like basic things like food is very important when you're healing. And if you can't act access the food like it's 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 ridiculous and what I felt is it's a dignity issue as well yeah if there was if there was a simple sheet saying this patient requires this and then what happens is the next what happens is that when there's a changeover of nurses then um, there's no there doesn't seem to be a continuity of care up there at all from what I could see and you said actually in your communication with me um, it is disgraceful I wouldn't send a cat in there I think you were emotive perhaps when you you were writing that line but um, you Mm. You you took dad home though because of this. We discharged him not just because of the food, but the care in general. Um, to be honest, um, he just he just wasn't getting any better, and um, he he was just lying there uh, really, and um, he didn't seem to be getting any better. Um, the care it, just with doctors. Now we've sent since we're addressing that with the hospital, but um, I, we just felt he wasn't getting the care he wanted or he needed and he wanted to come home and uh, we discharged him and brought him home and we're so glad we did um, because he passed away a couple of weeks later at home um, which was his wish but um, he 
I, I, I'm that. That's it, really. But I suppose the reason I'm speaking up is because it's nice. I was it's in nice there, to have a loved. It. It's nice to have a loved one at home, isn't it? If at all yeah, possible. It was. It it was, and and it's very comforting for them. And it's very comforting. For them. Very comforting for them. Yeah, and um, we could feed him, and and I suppose spend time with him, and yeah. there's no bright lights and all that sort yeah. of stuff, and noise in a shared amongst their own and, things, uh, and amongst their own family. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it was, and I suppose there is comfort in that for us. But as regards to the CAH. I just think that um, there has to be somebody take responsibility for patients' basic needs and they have to be met. And if if they're not mapped out on a chart at the end of their bed, then they're not going to hire staff to to come in to meet those needs. Thank and you. that's basically why yeah. I'm ringing. And uh, you made very good points and thank you for them. Thank you, Trisha, and thank you for your patience all as right. well. Thank you thank also no for matter. reminding me of Finbar's um, um, online comments uh, on my... Uh, Facebook and Twitter page. Thank you for that. He said, actually, the life of a stroke patient in the Cork University Hospital here in a high dependency ward need assistance to go to the toilet, need help to get my hair washed in a shower and no care staff in this place. This is our main hospital in Cork. Last four four days since I started back eating, every dinner I've gotten is cold. Breakfast, the cereal comes in packets. How in the name of God can you open things when you have no power in your hands? Everything's in packets after a stroke and by the time you get someone to help you your tea is frozen cold your food is frozen cold then physiotherapy they promised that they would take me to the gym yesterday uh, they never came back because I was going to the toilet when they came for me uh, and uh, this, this is the second time that I've soiled in, in the last four or five days um, this is actually a longer version of what Finbar actually very emotively told me on air before 11 o'clock. Um, I'm not reading it all out because it's quite lengthy. One week, one week, one day later, uh, the physio I was promised, the shower I was promised, nobody came to me. There just aren't enough care staff. I haven't had a decent, um, I imagine that should be, uh, there's a typo there, perhaps a decent wash since I had my stroke. I stink. I met my consultant yesterday. She said, don't be stressing. Um, you cannot be stressing. Man across the way from me yesterday as COPD, uh, and he's a stroke. He asked for his nebulizer because he was struggling to breathe. He was asking for a good fifteen minutes and still didn't receive it. Imagine that struggling to breathe for fifteen minutes. Uh, he didn't get it um, because there was only one nurse. Uh, again, no care assistance. A young nurse on here last night. Uh, three of us needed to use the toilet, but no night staff. I asked, "Are you very short staffed?" And she says, "This has been going on for months since COVID." This girl is in her 20s, so it's unfair that this young girl in her final year of nursing have the pressure of eight patients and no help. And the state wondering why all these young girls leave once they're qualified. She told me the HSC are only hiring agency workers now to run the units, particularly high dependency, and they're only giving three workers on this unit. It's a disgrace. I know I might get into trouble for making this public about the CUH, but all my life I worked raising awareness about people with disabilities and other obstacles they face every day. Uh, and this is happening before my eyes in a high dependency unit with stroke victims in 2024. Stephen Donnelly, the health service, no wonder. Uh, please share this, Neil. Uh, make it go viral. This is my reality of life after a stroke. I'd rather be dead than face these obstacles again tomorrow. Um, I'm going to get myself out of here in the next few hours. I can't wait, to be honest. Somebody has to be put. Somebody has to put this in the public domain. I will not shirk my responsibility as what is happening in here at COH. Share it if you can. Um, tell your local representative, share with the media. It could be your loved one tomorrow. It's me today. Uh, it has to stop now. Uh, and then there's another little note then with a, a rather chaotic tray put in front of him and his pigeon in front of the tray. My breakfast dropped 
Uh, not even put sitting up, asking for assistance, but nobody here. My tea will be cold yet again. Uh, I get help. If I don't get help, how can I pull the tray over near me with one hand and try to sit up at the same time without any balance as a recent stroke victim? There's a lot going on in that tray, an awful lot of tray, a lot of, lot, lot of chaos, and um, I wouldn't even know if to begin to deal with it. And I'm an able-bodied person, so I don't know what somebody was recovering from or dealing with stroke with paralysis down the one side of the body. Um, I talked to Annette and then I need to take an ad break. Thank you. Uh, it's the Neil Prendival Show with Mercedes-Benz Cork. Get involved in the conversation. Text 0868 106 Annette, good morning. Hi, good morning, Neil. Okay, let, let, let's chat. Um, mm. So, um, it's a lengthy text, so let me just hear your own version of the text. Yeah. Basically, I'm listening to you there now about the hospital as well. Um, well, I worked in the private sector. I worked as a private carer and I worked with the HSE. Um, I trained um, as a carer through City and Guilds in 2006. Yes, you went to fam- so, people's family homes? Yeah, in the okay. family home. So I was only part-time with the private company. And like that, I got um, I applied for the HSE thinking, oh, this is great. Got um, got the job anyway. Uh, was introduced that day. Um, after coming off from the interview, was met. Introduced into a family home. They didn't know I was coming. They didn't know anything that they were getting home help. Nothing. I just thought it was... Sorry, shambolic altogether. Um, They must have known, like, they must have applied for it. No, no. The family applied on their behalf and never told their actual parents. Oh, right. They never told their elderly parent, yeah. I landed with um, my new uh, line manager that I just met that day and, like, they, they more or less told the line manager to get out and they sat and spoke to me for five minutes and I said look I'm so sorry I said like to just so unprofessional and anyway I ended up looking after those people but I'm just saying the difference between the way the HSE runs the system it's 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 badly broken it's really really broken um, I work for a, a private company um, called Homestead Senior Care I've been with them since 2010 and like I've worked for the two and when I basically um, took on the job with the HSC I was told that I would have to give up my private work and I, I refused because I had one lady that I had at the time for 10 hours a week and I wasn't going to give that lady up and uh, so basically they said fine and the, there's no real introduction um, to the, of the care to the family you're just brought and they more or less told the, these people you're very lucky to have this now your family are after doing this and you know here you are. And are you saying? Are, are you are you making the point that if 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 you were working in home care s- s- situations for a private mm. company, that there would be a, a lot of training it's went more into professional. that? Professional. Yeah. Be, it, it's a lot more professional. They go and meet the family. They oh. also meet the clients. But what qualification do you need to be? Um, Somebody who works in the in a uh, home care, or as we used to say, home helps, working for the home HSE. Helping. Well, for the HSE, no, you have to have um, care skills. Back when I was doing it, I didn't. You didn't actually need any. You just needed experience. But I had I had my uh, City and Guilds care course of ten. Mo- 10 modules done so um, but it didn't really matter once you had experience but now um, home health are trained as personal carers um, so there, there is more and believe okay. me there are fantastic home okay. health so that you're saying there is a there is a difference between training and there the private and the public, yeah, no, yeah. yeah, yeah. There is. You, you, you like, say no, they don't they care about the clients and less for their staff. No, no. You say you were offered more um, hours with the private company, so you gave notice and you I got left. abused. I gave notice. Um, I actually got um, full-time work 
Privately. The company that I'm with is, is in the country like um, only a certain number of years, but they've grown over the years. So I was offered more hours with them. So I took it and I gave in my notice. I got uh, abuse on the phone. Um, you're giving up... Uh, a pensionable job and I said look my pension is my mattress that's where I'd be keeping my pension money um, I didn't get my any reference I wasn't given any reference um, I rang and rang about uh, getting my P45 so in the end I had to contact payroll myself they didn't know I was after giving notice they hadn't uh, they had no okay. notion no knowledge of me looking for P45 okay but so, but but did did you move to the private sector where they paid less I did yeah well, why because because their care of the elderly clients needs clients needs yeah. to clients needs uh, yeah it's you have also you support 24-7 and the HSE come 4 o'clock in the evening there's nobody there on a Friday evening until Monday morning no matter what yeah so we can we have an emergency but every health every healthcare number. every healthcare assistant that um, my mother-in-law the late great Kitty Lennon yeah. ever had was just absolutely yeah. incredible. Yeah. They all worked as in the I HSE said, system. I, in all of them. As were I said, there are very good ones, but there is no... No, no, like, no, like I, I've had experience of many of them, and every single one of them was terrific. Well, I have worked in both. I have worked in both. I have been in a house where there was two people that would need care, and I would be providing care for one person in the morning, another person in the afternoon. And I said, look, while I'm here, I can now take the stroke patient, who was my other client, to the bathroom if needed. And I was told, no, you're not covered. You're only covered to look after this one person. I should ask a load of nonsense. What if that person didn't that want to go to bed? The, they needed the loo in the morning and not in the afternoon. So that's that's... That's cruel. Uh, well, but you see, this is it. That, that's what I'm saying. I was in there looking after two people. And like I said, while I'm here, like just checking to make sure the other person okay. took their medication in the okay. afternoon, that was my 15, 20 minutes. I could take this person who was a stroke patient to the bathroom. And I was told, no, okay. you can't. That is That was the real reason as to why I said, this is it. I'm not... I'm not I'm not doing this. I, you know, I didn't train as a carer for that. Also, okay. regarding holidays, regarding holidays, um, a carer with the with home and senior care, there's at least two carers trained to every household. So time off and holidays is never a problem. I was when I gave in my um, holiday relief form to the HSC. I filled out everything. I had given my adequate notice to get my week off. I got a phone call saying, I had about eight clients at the time. You have to get cover for your clients. And I, I just left. I said, what do you mean? You and the HSC had to get cover for your yeah. clients when you were on holiday. I had to provide cover. For, and I said, right. look, I said... Okay. Oh, listen, no, I understand. I understand. Cover a lot of ground. Thank you for it. I, I absolutely agree that everything in the public sector should be run yeah. like as if it's the private sector. It, it really and truly should. Exactly. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you. No, I need to keep moving. Thank you. So just very okay. briefly, okay. if you wanted to finish up, is there a point that you wanted to make quickly? Basically regarding the hospitals as well. Um, the, the the doctors and nurses are fantastic, but there is absolutely no carers. I have a relative at the moment in hospital, and that person was being medicated fine, but wasn't even being covered with a blanket, wasn't given a sip of water. The person wasn't able to access their trolley, so they couldn't even get a drink of water. Um, okay. They are they were just they were frozen with the cold and couldn't get a drink okay thank you for that Mary good morning morning. And I'm conscious that I need to talk to you today because tomorrow doesn't work for you so go ahead thank you for taking the call it is just I just want you one of your colleagues there a picture of a light slug that was on my yeah I have it here in front of me I have a picture of a big creepy crawly slug where where's this from CUH alright 
when I was in as an inpatient, when I was in as a patient, I had received my tea. I had eaten eaten what came on under the fibre, and I had ordered a blueberry muffin. Now they all come sealed in the package, sealed so they're not happening in touch. It was on the plate, and I lifted the blueberry to take the packaging off, and there was my little friend crawling along on the tray. That's not little. That's an inch if it's an inch and a half. <laughs> yeah, he was on the tray and he was crawling. Not on the ground though, but on the tray. No, no, hang, on hanging the tray, out, on hanging out with the blueberry muffin. <laughs> yeah, hanging out uh, with the blueberry muffin was wrapped, and by the time you could have clicked your fingers on the thing reported, they were up from this kitchen. And literally, I'd say I had reported it, and within a matter of minutes, somebody from the kitchen was up. And all I could say was, all I can do is apologise. That's the blueberry muffin. It must have come in on the wrapping because they are outsourced. On the wrapping or on the wrapping or in the wrapping? On the wrapping. Okay. On the wrapping. On the wrapping. It was on the plate like when I lifted the... Like, do you do you know? I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud now as a, as a detective, right? Do you think that maybe one of these deliveries that would come into the CUH would be from a company that delivers a lot of produce that might be delivering prepackaged bread or prepackaged cakes and muffins, and also being delivered yeah. um, lettuce, and carrots, well, and spuds, and stuff. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the um, the explanation I got from the um, kitchen person that came up. Oh, well, I, that all their all their fruit, all the cake comes in prepacked, so they literally just take it from whatever tree and puts it on the plate and up to the wall. It was missed. Like yeah. yeah, but it was yeah, clear, it, it was, was clearly missed. missed. No, I think it's very unfortunate, but I would hate I would hate and to think was. that this is a criticism of of um Oh no the staff no the staff I mean they were, should like were, they should have they should have seen it. God knows we all should see things like that, but we don't always we don't always spot everything. No, no I, I, I mean like even the nursing staff were lovely and one of the nurses she was a far national she couldn't she couldn't believe it. She actually got a urine sample bottle and put him into the urine sample bottle. I hope she disposed of the urine sample bottle. <laughs> I, I think give she another, did. Give I, think she, I think, no, no, I think it was just by shock. Right. I think it was just by shock. And, 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 and we've often, we've often, at least in my house anyway, I come across mouldy bread from time to time, mouldy muffins yeah, and yeah, things like I, that. Yeah, on the day I was leaving, I got my tea and I got my brown bread. Do you know the Cambridge bread slice? I like you it, the, the brown bread, I like it, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I opened that and there was green mold in that. Oh, oh no. Was the, oh, God. What was the best before date on that, do you know? I don't know, but that was last. That was the second time I got that. I was in another practice, a hospital, um, a good few years ago, and I got the same thing. I was after a major operation, and I was due to come home, and I got more moldy bread. Now, it was moldy. You, you couldn't but see it. It was turning blue. You know, you couldn't but see it if you looked. On the tray, and um, like that, opened the kitchen and apologized and asked me, Did I want more bread? I was no thank you. I it's, was, it's a wonder, I, it's I, a wonder that the bread it was the, it's a wonder that the bread was moldy with the speed that they're throwing food out there, you know. But anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, be, but they're all yeah. to be fair, though, that stuff, those you know, those things go they go off very quickly. And bread, you know, you know, the bread, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, the bread that we have these days is only a day or two in it, there really is, yeah. Yeah, and it, no, it's just love. Just and when I was listening yeah. to your show this morning, I was I rooted out to Peter. I still had some gas covers my phone. I said I'll have to see that. And All right. No, I had deleted. I had deleted the video of where you could see him crawling along the 
Yeah. But no, they said it'd be an awful lot worse if there was only half a slug on the plate. <laughs> One drink oh, and you have half I the muffin it. eaten. <laughs> no, he didn't. I didn't even eat the muffin. I just after that, no, everything was gone right, after okay. that. I was double checking everything I got. All right, thanks for that. Take care, Mary. Thank you. Thank you to Mary. Thank you to Antoinette. Pick up the phone, get involved in the conversation. Text 0868104106 or listen to your show regarding CUH housekeeping. I think it's crazy that they're having such problems getting their annual leave. But then again, it's always the cleaners that get walked all over. It's shocking that housekeeping nationally was bypassed for job evaluation. It's even more shocking that SIP2 were asked by its members to take a grievance to the WRC but failed to do so. So thank you for that text. Uh, and then um, I won't I won't go into too many uh, of the uh, texts with regards to those arson attacks. I know that people have been in touch with regards to the five arson attacks on Leeside and Patrick Street and Grand Parade, Half Moon Street, areas like that yesterday uh, because uh, again this is a, a live guard investigation and people are suggesting reasons as to why everything was set on fire but we'll just have to wait and see but thank you for your contribution on the list back after the break text or whatsapp neil now 0868 104 106 all right time to go show on red fm can you mention as the great joe from joe's hair salon and glashian road we'll come back to everything else in the morning can you mention them doing an easter egg collection for coon lee Edel House and Penny Dinners again this year. Of course you are, because you're a diamond. I'm accepting Easter eggs up to Good Friday and sending you a photograph of a card I recently received from someone who has been through homelessness. It makes what I do all the more worthwhile. Joe and the gang at Joe's Hair Salon Glacian Road are doing an Easter egg collection again this year for Coon Lee, Edel House and Penny Dinners. And you can drop out whatever you can afford to give them to Joe's Hair Salon on the Glashian Road and the letter hope you don't mind reading it out Joe a very special thank you from the bottom of my heart for all the great work you do but most importantly the love you do it with I have experienced bad luck and homelessness and I will never forget how I felt and how grateful I was to you and your staff you do such amazing things for people I want you to let you know it sticks with people especially me don't ever change you beautiful human and that was a lovely note that Joe got for the work that he does and the staff that he does but then all of the different organisations who come to help him for his different appeals throughout the year. So Easter eggs, please, for Coonley, Edel House and Penny Dinners to Joe's Hair Salon and the Glashian Road. Also, can I say thank you to Jack Tobin. He's a cafe owner of Catch Up Cafe who recovered from a drug addiction that he describes as 10 years of hell when he was on the air with me. He's aiming to break the stigma that surrounds talking about addiction and he's now launched his own brand of coffee. It's called The Recovery Blend. It's located, located in Percival Street in Canturk and opening hours are... Uh, uh, fairly lengthy. You'll never have an op- uh, you'll never miss an opportunity to get a couple of coffee. And he sent me some of his fresh recovery blend coffee. It's called Taking One Day at a Time. And there's some lovely little biscuits and there's some lovely little sweets. And I think there in the corner there's a plunger as well and a brand new mug. You're so kind. Thank you, Jack. Um, and I think that looks like I'll have to get into the packaging but I wouldn't be surprised if it's donkey's gudge so thank you for that anyway 8.30 every morning to 3 in the afternoon support him if you're living in the area Jack Tobin's Catch-Up Cafe he's got his own brand of coffee it shows that in recovery anything is possible have a good day I'll see you tomorrow when court talks car people blow my mind they talk to Neil Prendeville on Red FM